Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is the perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. time of the year and it's uh it's a snowy cold day in in ohio but it's a great day to be out and about and i'm actually uh just leaving a meeting tonight uh so uh in the car um but uh not holding a phone so i've got an earpiece and hopefully you can hear me well yeah we can hear you well that's great um so we'll just get right to it uh now in uh 2018 you and amy murray uh, were running 
against DeWine then. Uh, is the motivation to run against DeWine this time different than it was four years ago? Uh, or is there a different motivation behind wanting to basically, you know, take his place as governor of Ohio? Well, look, that's a great question. If you go back to 2017, I didn't believe Mike DeWine would make a very good governor. And uh, quite frankly, I think his three years so far have shown I was right. Uh, so th I call this unfinished business. Um, I was asked by the President of the United States and the party chairman, the High Republican Party chairwoman, and everybody else to get out of the governor's race and go into the Senate race. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't want to do that, but uh, you know what? When the President of the United States asks you, um, it's, it's hard to say no, and uh, uh, President Trump, was I was a big supporter of his, and he was a big supporter of mine, and I ended up jumping in that race only to find out the establishment left me go. I had to fight for myself, but it was also a good race, and I almost won against an incumbent who spent $33.5 million. But, uh, no, the motivation is the same. Ohio is broken. It's not gotten any better. In fact, it's gotten worse. And uh, it, it uh, now I can tell people, see, I told you so. Well, well since you mentioned it, uh, you know, of course, it's been reported that uh, the Dewan coffers exceed anyone else's. Uh, so how would you plan to run against uh, the war theft of now Governor Dewan? Well, look, um, you look at many, many races and many, many war chests, Look at Virginia. Lincoln was had a, a war chest against him that was gigantic. In the end, um, it's about making sure the voters know the difference. It's not about the money. Um, if it was about now, you do have to have enough money to run a campaign. You do have to have enough money uh, to get your message out. And so you do have to have probably five million dollars to run a campaign. In this in this state, if if you're known, the good thing about Jim Renacci is I've already run statewide. I've got an 85% name ID, so I don't have to spend that extra five million for people to get to know me. The, the you know, many people say the first time you run in a state as big as Ohio, especially, that you better have about 10 million dollars because five million dollars just to get name ID, and then five million dollars to get a message and a team put together. Well, I already have the name ID. What I really need now is to make sure that I have the enough money for the message um, and to get uh, a good team together, which I have, including uh, President Trump's former campaign manager who is on my team, Brad Parscale, as well. And one of the things we've been interviewing a lot of uh, what they consider, uh, such as uh, Mark Tita, uh, we've had Jack Lombardi, who um, was running against Sindinger uh, there in Illinois, but now Sindinger wisely uh, decided to <laughs> not run. Uh, I'm sure seeing the writing on the wall. And now he's going, uh, Lombardi's going to be going against Underwood. Uh, but many Ohioans and Americans, frankly, are cram uh, clamoring uh, for what are being called citizen candidates and not career politicians. Uh, so what would you say is this of what they're looking at as candidates with those from the ones who are also running, you know, in primaries such as Rod Hood and Joe Blyston. Well, there's no more citizen candidates. 
Yeah, there's no more citizen candidate than Jim Renacci. I've been in business for 39 years, created 1,500 jobs, employed 3,000 people. What a lot of people don't realize is the only reason I ran uh, for Congress is because my car dealership was taken away. And uh, I was fed up with Washington. Um, I ran against the establishment. I won and, uh, and, and then never became part of the establishment. And, and it's one of the reasons why the establishment didn't support me in the Senate race. So, look, here's what I, here's what I would tell you. Um, you would never get into an airplane with somebody who at least doesn't have a knowledge of how to pull the rudder and make the plane fly. Um, citizens candidates are people who have lived in the real world for the majority of their life and only go in to serve when there's a necessary need for change. And, and that's what I would really say who Jim Renacci is. Um, you would not want to put somebody in the sixth largest economy in the entire world. No, I take that back, in the entire country, not the entire world. Sixth largest economy in the entire country and leave it up to somebody who doesn't have the background, the experience, or even the ability to know how the system works. And if it comes to these systems, I wouldn't call it a very crowded, but having four, you know, four real candidates in the primary, uh, there are concerns that you know having that many people in there, uh, you know, will actually split the conservative vote versus you know what other would consider with the line being the, I want you know moderate or you know, queer politicians or establishment of vote. Uh, do you share those same concerns and? How can those be addressed? Well, absolutely. And and my goal will never be to say anything negative about the other candidates. Uh, my goal, which, by the way, they said that's, that's the difference. I'm really talking about winning, a path to winning, making sure that I can get more votes than DeWine. That should be the goal. And uh, uh, what I like, look, if the race was head-to-head, Jim Renacci against Mike DeWine, I guarantee you, I can almost guarantee you Mike DeWine gets defeated. Um, and, and our polling shows that. We've had multiple polls done by reputable uh, pollsters. Actually, my polling has been done by President Trump's pollster, Fabrizio, who is a very well-respected uh, pollster in the country. So it even shows that a head-to-head race between Jim Renacci and Mike DeWine, Mike DeWine is defeated. Um, when you add a couple more people who take the anti-DeWine vote away, who knows? It, uh, it does make it a lot more difficult. But it's still not uh, something that can't be overcome with money, with name ID, and with a good team. Well, and I, I mean, I certainly do think there's a, a wave against uh, DeWine. And I think one of the main reasons, and you point out things with Ohio, but I think a lot of uh, folks are actually unhappy with the way he handled COVID. And so what would your, be, your assessment be of how DeWine – I mean, I wouldn't call him the baddest of governors that were in some blue states, certainly. Uh, but how would you assess his, uh, his take on how he handled uh, COVID, especially, you know, 2020, 2020 and here in 2021? Well, first off, I'll tell you, Governor DeWine is the worst – Republican governor in the United States right now. Um, the worst Republican governor in the United States, and the polling shows that. 
He handled COVID horribly. I mean, when do you have a governor making health decisions for you? Yet this governor decided he was going to make health decisions for you. When do you have a governor determining when you can open and when you can close? When do you have a governor telling you, you know, that you can't go to church anymore? When do you have a governor telling you that, um, you know, you can't go to, to see your loved one in a nursing home? These are decisions you should be able to make. And this governor stepped way over bounds uh, across the line uh, when he decided that he was going to mandate masks and, uh, and even push vaccination. So these are decisions that individuals should make with their health care provider. I think that is a real big issue. But let's add some of the other things he's done. I mean, he's got a failed unemployment system with billions and billions and billions of dollars being lost. He's got a failed Medicaid program with billions and billions and billions of lost. We've lost hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of jobs since he's taken over in the state of Ohio. So the list just goes on and on and on. And that's why he is a failed governor and one of the worst Republican governors in the state of, in the, in the country. So that being said, uh, let's say, you know, you win the primary and then you win the governorship. Cause I think, uh, I mean, I, I think Ohio is primed, you know, for, you know, another Republican win, uh, you know, for the, for the governorship. You know, I think they're, they're probably, you know, I think actually in the Senate, and I'm, I'm not talking much about it, but I think that's why you have a lot of folks running for Senate here in, a, in Ohio, too, so I think they, you know, they smell the water, so to speak. Um, but that being said, so, you know, if you were governor, then you wouldn't, you know, demand any type of mandate, whether it be vaccination uh, or mask. Is that correct? No, absolutely not. Again, freedoms are important. Uh, but remember, I believe that that's your right. If you want to wear a mask, you wear a mask. If you don't want to wear a mask, nobody should force you to do it. If you want to get vaccinated, you get vaccinated. If you don't want to get vaccinated, nobody should force you to it. To do it. Too often, and, and even in our state, we look down at people for making the choice. We should be pro- We should allow people to make the choice. It just it just should not be mandated. By a government institution. And you know, I know, and you're, I'm sure you're aware of, you know, AP 248, where you know there's groups of people who were, you know, trying to, uh, you know, get it to the Ohio House uh, that, you know, stalled, uh, which a lot of people think that that's a lot of your, you know, modern Republicans hiding behind the fact that, well, not maybe not fact, but the, at least what they tried to <laughs> produce as a fact. Uh, how well we can, you know, tell you know businesses what to do, and then of course now it's kind of you know, there's petitions going out to try to get uh, Yost to, you know, sign on for it to be on the ballot, and so with uh, HAB, um, again, you're familiar with HB 248, correct? Yes. Okay, and so I just want to go on about it without. And by the way, I support. I, I support. 248. So uh, I'm a I'm supporter of it, um, I, and there's a reason why we need 248, and it's something you just said earlier. Businesses currently do have the right to to um, under under the Constitution to require certain things as long as they don't discriminate. 248 eliminates 
that requirement, and it's one of the reasons why we need it. There's a misconception in, in many ways that um, because if, if it wasn't for that, you wouldn't need 248. Um, and, and, I, and I do think that's, that's something that's extremely important. 248 takes, gives the individual freedom back to the individual, which is very important, very important. And, and that would also apply to schools as well, not only businesses, but schools kind of force, uh, you know, students. Because I think, uh, like, Xavier University, you know, my alma mater uh, was forcing students to uh, get vaccinated uh, or, or not being – I mean, I don't know how far they took it, I, I, you know, but I was appalled when I heard that. Well, look, absolutely um, nobody, no institution – no, no one should require the vaccination, and that's why you need 248. If it wasn't for that, if, if it wasn't for that uh, businesses have that individual right as well um, to set standards of employment subject to not discriminating, then you wouldn't need 248. And 248 says, yes, you still have that right, but you cannot force me to take a vaccination. And I think that's what's important. That's why we do need 248. Well, I mean, the way I do, you know, forced vaccination, I mean, I would put that, you know, besides the way I describe it is, is and we'll get some static there from you, Jim. I don't know if um, you move positions or, or something, but because um, I know your head, your, your headset on. Uh, but the way I do, uh, yeah, I'm hearing a lot of static. You know what? I'm 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 actually out of the I'm out of the car. So hopefully, um, and I'm talking directly. Is that better? That's much better. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you Good. very much. Um, yeah, I mean the way I describe forced vaccination is you know, I, I consider it like medical rape because you're you know basically you're being you know your body is being invaded, um, you know by force to have chemicals and cells you know put inside your body without your consent. Um, so I, you know, I see it as a, a medical rape. Now, um, one of the things uh, that, that I always wondered about, and this is something you don't hear a lot about, in to, uh, you know, for topics. I got uh, just this question and one more, and then um, I want to bring in our panelist uh, Joseph in. And now, one of the things that always baffled me is state-run liquor stores. I know Ohio uh, is run. You know, the liquor stores in Ohio are run by the state. Um, but just across the river, just across the border of Kentucky, uh, that's not true. Uh, so what are your thoughts about, you know, state-run liquor stores? I mean, like a state-running, you know, liquor store. Well, here's the problem right now. This, the state has turned over all the profits from the liquor stores to something called Jobs Ohio. And Jobs Ohio collects those profits and, uh, use, and is supposed to use those profits to increase um, economic development in our state. Uh, if you go back, and, and now this is, a, this is a deal that was done during the Kasich years, so the liquor stores are, are stuck in this position. Uh, there's no way to get out of that unless you break the Jobs Ohio deal, which I think is a 20-year deal. Uh, $2 billion of liquor store profits, $2 billion have gone to an outside agency called Jobs Ohio, a private organization, and Jobs Ohio has only reinvested back $1 billion. Um, so the answer to your question is you're kind of stuck in this situation 
uh, right now unless you can break the Jobs Ohio uh, the, the Jobs Ohio deal. Is that something that could be broken? By I mean, I I know a little bit about about it, but not enough to make any determination what whether that's even a possibility. Would that be something that, as governor, could be a possibility that could be looked into? Well, one of the things I've said in my platform, and if you go to JimRenAC.com, you'll see my platform of issues. One of them is to eliminate Jobs Ohio. So I'm going to do whatever is necessary. I don't think the $2 billion over the last uh, 10 years should be given to a private organization. I think the profits from the liquor stores should be at least kept in the state coffers and used for economic development. But I'm also somebody that believes we should look at all avenues um, uh, to privatize wherever we can, whether it's the prisons, uh, whether it's workers' compensation. There are a lot of things we can do different by privatizing, you know, government-run organizations. Well, the last thing before my last question before we get to Joseph is that, I mean, they even control, I mean, through my understanding of it, because I know, you know, a few people who run, you know, the liquor stores, it's through my understanding, I mean, it's actually the government that gives them the order. Oh, well, this is what you're going to order this week. It's like, you know, which to me seems kind of suspicious. It's like, well, are you guys playing winners and losers by saying, okay, these are the, this is the product, this is the, the brands that you're going to sell, whether they're popular in your store or not. And I've had people who run liquor stores say that, say, you know, this, this one just doesn't sell. But they're saying we got one. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, again, the system needs to be refined, I will tell you that. And uh, we need to eliminate Jobs Ohio, uh, who has failed. Uh, again, we've lost hundreds of thousands of jobs over the last a decade, uh, and, and uh, Jobs Ohio is supposed to be taking that liquor store revenue and, and reinvesting it back and bringing jobs to Ohio, not losing jobs. And then lastly, you picked the running mate Joe is it Knopp, if I pronounce it correctly, Joe hopefully. Knopp. Joe Knopp. Uh, so what was your criteria? What you know, made you want to, to pick Joe to be your running mate? Well, number one, I wanted an outsider. Number two, I wanted a business person. Uh, number three, I wanted somebody who uh, his, his children had, uh, uh, had had to live through the school system that Governor DeWine closed and masked down because he has a lot of insight from that standpoint. I wanted somebody who supported life, uh, which uh, Joe, uh, of course, is a movie producer and has uh, 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 produced the movie Unplanned, which is uh, – uh, you know, so when when you look at Jim Renacy and Joe Knopp, you'll see two people who nobody can compete with when it comes to life. But also the reason I, I picked Joe is, uh, you know, he's got a military background. Um, he realized he started with nothing, very much like I did. Uh, nothing was handed to him. Nothing was handed to me. His story is even much, much deeper. He He had to live on the streets with his mom until uh, a church took him to an orphanage at the age of seven. And then he lived in the orphanage until he was uh, 18 and then went, to col- then, then went to college by joining the Air Force. Um, the difference is that I, I had two really great parents that didn't have anything, they had no money, but taught me that anything is possible um, if you work hard and do the right things. And, and I started my business with just $100 in a bank, and I must, you know, live the American dream. So, you know, if you put the two of us together, we're two outsiders 
Um, we're two business people. We're two people who are 100% supportive of life. Um, we're two people who are also strong Second Amendment um, individuals, uh, but also people who have balanced books, understand what it is to make a payroll, and understand what it is to live within the rules government makes. So together we make a very, very strong team, um, and a team who can really change the direction of Ohio. And I've got uh, you know, one of my panelists here, Joseph. Uh, I'm going to bring him uh, in on our uh, call, our conversation. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Joseph, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Uh, fine. Always a pleasure to be on the People Show. How are you? Good, good. So I have uh, two questions for our guest tonight. I want to thank you for coming on to the show. Uh, number one, have you received any notifications or updates from President Trump that he has any plans of endorsing you, uh, endorsing your candidacy? That's my first question. Yeah, so President Trump is a friend of mine. Um, uh, remember, I do have Brad Parscale on my team who speaks with the president at least weekly, if not two or three times a week. Um, I am um, pretty confident that if the president were to endorse um, he would only endorse me, but I would also tell you um, I'm not sure that he's going to get in, involved in any races. I'm hoping he is. I spoke to him a few weeks ago. Uh, time will tell. Um, he does want a candidate um, like me. Uh, he does like candidates like me, but he's also said there are three criteria. You have to have a good team, which is what I have. You have to have the money to win, which is what I have, um, and you have to have a message and a way to deliver it, and I have that too. So, uh, those are the good, those are the three qualities I know he's looking for. But you know, it's early, and uh, uh, I, I, as I say, I do know that if he endorses anyone, I feel pretty confident it will be me if he does get involved in the race. Okay, that's understandable. Um, President Trump so far has endorsed many candidates up and down the ballot for the midterms. Uh, Senate races, uh, the House, um, governorships as well. So his endorsement is going to really help to speak volumes of, uh, you know, the candidates that uh, he thinks are best qualified to uh, retake uh, back our country. But number two, uh, what I didn't hear from you is what is the bread and butter of your platform? What are you going to do specifically different than the incumbent, if elected? Wow, that's pretty easy. You've got to go to JimRenAC.com. You'll see my four major issues, but I have 12 total issues. First one, overhaul education, eliminate CRT, eliminate uh, you know, sex education, eliminate social-emotional learning. Uh, and also take a backpack program um, and, and say, here's how much it costs to educate your child. You can take that money and go anywhere you want. That's going to be the things that I stand on. I've also come out and said that I will appoint a, an, a, a director to oversee education to make sure that those principles are being maintained, including the elimination of masking and mandating vaccinations in our schools. So that's the number one plank of my platform. The second thing, though, is illegal immigration. Eliminate 
um, any illegal immigration into this state. We need to take care of our own first. Um, I'm a big supporter of the veterans. I want to make sure that homeless veterans are taken care of and we stop illegal immigration, including sanctuary cities. Um, third thing that is very important in my, uh, in, in my top issues is election integrity. I've already called for voter ID. I'm also calling for an audit um, every four years at a minimum, an outside audit. Uh, starting with 2022. So um, we're going to ask that that be done. Um, and and uh, those are three top issues. Fourth, though, and fifth and sixth continue to be we're going to eliminate mass mandates and, uh, and uh, vaccination mandates. Um, we're going to make sure that the, uh, that the uh, Second Amendment rights are protected. Um, and when it comes to life, I've already come out and said that I'm going to appoint um, an individual to oversee and, and, and make sure that the unborn are protected as well. Okay, that gives so me a good uh, recap and insight of that, and I appreciate you taking the time to share that. Uh, before I defer back to our host, Robert, it's uh, one observation I want to make. And, uh, you know, I do believe as a candidate you should run the campaign that you choose to run. But I do believe the problem with a lot of Republican and conservative candidates who run is they're not willing to get down and throw the punches. Uh, they're not willing to get down and, and get negative if they need to. And that's where the Dems are very, very powerful. You can't defeat your enemy unless you're willing to be more malicious or more evil than your enemy. You don't defeat your enemy by good. That doesn't work. The Dems do that to perfection. When they're out there campaigning, they don't, they don't hold back the punches. And if you look at President Trump, that is what gave rise to his popularity in 2015. He threw the punches, and he didn't stop. And he did it against 17 other GOP contenders. He said things that are not PC whatsoever that sent shockwaves all over the country where everyone said, okay, he's done at this point. That, that was his final nail in the coffin. So my view is if you are going to defeat the incumbent, whether it be Republican or Democrat, you've got to be willing to throw the punches. If necessary, you've got to be willing to go negative. You've got to be willing to do whatever it takes because you are fighting for the soul of your country. And if you don't fight to win, then all that is going to be said is just – talking points and rhetoric of what could have been done. But if you never get to power, then all it's going to be is what I would have done. And so in my opinion, candidates need to step it up. And if you're going to defeat your opponent, you got to get down and become more dirtier. Because at the end of the day, you're doing it for the sake of your country. You're doing it for the right reasons. It's a necessary evil, but sometimes it's needed. If that's what it takes to get to power, that's what it took for Donald Trump to get to power, and look what a successful three years he had. Uh, the last one was kind of rocky with COVID. So that's basically just my overview on that, and like I said, you're, you're more than welcome to campaign the way you see fit, and uh, I, I wish you the, uh, the best of uh, all luck, and I, I do hope you do get that endorsement. Well, let me, let me add a few things to that. Remember, Donald Trump had 100% name ID. That helped him. Donald Trump had the money. That helped him. 
Donald Trump had a message, too, that helped him. Donald Trump also knew who his enemy was, and he attacked his enemy. So if you look at Jim Renacci, you'll see, number one, I don't have 100% name ID, but I do have the most name ID of all candidates other than Mike DeWine. Mike DeWine has 99.7% name ID. I have 85% name ID. So that's the positive. Second thing is I have the money. Third thing is I have the machine to get it done. And the fourth thing is I know who my enemy is. It's Mike DeWine. So if you actually look at my attacks, they're always on the target. There is no use shooting at the people who aren't the target. And that's exactly what President Trump, candidate Trump, did early, early on. He knew who his target was. Even when it was 17, you didn't see him shooting at everybody. He shot at his targets. And his target were always the people, the person who was winning. The person winning right now is incumbent Mike DeWine, and the target really has to be him. If you look at my social media, and if you look at my Facebook, and if you look at our messaging and our text messaging, we are attacking the target every single day, and we will continue to attack the target until such time as we win. Speaking of target, let's, uh, I was going to wait till a little bit later for this, but uh, I think this was a good uh, point in time to do it. Uh, eventually, again, you know, you win the primary, and eventually your target is going to be either John Cranley or Nan Whaley. And without, you know, with keeping your powder dry, of course, you know, not giving anything away, we'll be some little tidbits uh, if you were running against them. Uh, that you would have that, you know, you believe would get, I don't want to say upper hand because I said I wouldn't be able to keep your powder dry, uh, but you think that would be useful uh, in running against, uh, you know, Cranley and Whaley? Well, first off, remember, you've you got to know what you're running, who, 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 the vote, who the voters are. Once you get past the primary, the general election is 21% Republican, 22 or 23% Democrat, and 59% independence. So you have to know who you're talking to. In a primary, you're just talking to primarily Republicans and some independents who are conservative enough to take out that primary vote, voter, uh, you know, election and sign up as a Republican. But in the general election, you got to talk to independents too. And, and what we have learned is that most people that are independent they want an opportunity for their children and grandchildren. <laughs> they want their children and grandchildren to have an opportunity to live the American dream. They want to have the freedoms and, and they, you know, not have a government trying to control whether they're wearing a mask or whether they're being forced to vaccinate. They want an education system that works for them. So the answer will be, yes, my targets are different, whether it's Cranley or Whaley, but the real answer is my message has to be important as well. And the message is going to be very similar to what it is in the primary. But, again, we're going to be talking about education, which is important to independence. We're going to talk about the American dream, which is important to independence. We're going to be talking ab about the ability, uh, you know, to make our state one of the top ten states in the country. All of those things will appeal to independent voters, 
um, and Republicans, and by the way, probably some Democrats as well. And, and that's really the target then, because things do change. You have to, you have to be able to have a message that resonates, uh, especially to those independents. And there's not an independent out there that will not be happy to hear that Jim Renese wants to make Ohio one of the powerhouse states in the country, wants to make sure that Ohio uh, offers our children and grandchildren opportunities for the American dream and, and gives them the, the proper education, including reading, writing, arithmetic, and history, and all of those things that um, really will make our state one of the top 10 states in the country. And, and that being said, just, if, of course, with anyone who wants to be governor, they have a lot of things that they want to do for their state. Uh, now, this is generally, you know, what you see with a lot of, you know, more, you know, presidential candidates than you do, at least in my experience, even with governors. That if you had, you know, one signature issue, uh, that you know, if, you know, when the time comes and you know you've had your, um, you know, your time in office, whether it be four years or eight or, or what have you, uh, is there maybe a signature issue that when you, you know, will get out of office and you look back, you see your legacy, you're like, wow, that's the thing I wanted to accomplish the most. Uh, well, uh, you know, my tenure in office. Do you have any issues such as that? Sure. I want to make Ohio – look, I came to Ohio 38 years ago as a young kid with only $100 in the bank uh, because I knew Ohio was a land of opportunity. If you think about it, Akron, Ohio was the rubber capital world. We had NCR in Dayton. We United in Youngstown. And the list goes on and on. We were a powerhouse state. It's why I came here. 39 years ago, and it's why I started with a couple hundred dollars and went from one business to 60 businesses, created 1,500 jobs, employed over 3,000 people. The reason was Ohio was a great place to raise a family. It was a great place to start a business. It was a great place to live. We've lost that. I want, whether it's in my four years, and I hope I can get it done in four, um, but if it's four, eight, whatever it takes, I want to make Ohio that place it was 39 years ago so people can come here and say, you know what, that's the state to go to. Today, we're the seventh most left state in the country. People leave this state. We need to change that. Now, that's not an easy thing to do. To do that, there's a whole bunch of pieces underneath it. You've got to cut spending. You've got to cut our taxes. You've got to change our tax system. You've got to eliminate our tax system. But today we spend, we spend twice as much as similar-sized states and the same amount as Florida, which is twice as big as us. We've got to change some of those things. We've got to get our spending down. We've got to change our tax system. We've got to make it good, profitable for businesses to be here. We've got to eliminate the cat tax. And I can go on and on and on. But ultimately, what I'm hoping people look back at and say, you know what? Ohio is one of the top 10 states in the country to live, to work, to raise a family, and to, and to have the opportunity to live the American dream. That's the legacy I want to leave, which we don't have today. Yeah, one of the things I was kind of hoping uh, when there was kind of a run for, it's been closer to Dayton, uh, the, you know, the Air Force Base is when Space Force was looking to find a headquarters. Uh, it's really, really what. <laughs> Really wanting uh, Ohio to be one of the, uh, the possible places for the headquarters uh, for that. I, uh, I think that would have been pretty, 
uh, you know, pretty neat to have. Then I think it would have been, you know, a boon for Ohio as well. I mean, I don't know maybe in the future if that's something that, uh, you know, as governor you can you know, say, hey, let's get some more a hub here <laughs> in Ohio for the Space Force or something. But, you know, again, we got the, well, the air the base and I will tell you, I, I, I want to rely as little as possible on the federal government. I love our Air Force base down there. I think it's a gem and a jewel but it's also federally funded, and, and somebody could pull that Air Force base at any time. The federal government can say we're going to close Air Force bases. We need to make sure Ohio is the state that is such a great state that people want to come and live here, and that and even our federal government says we got to make sure that um, we don't move out of that state because that state's growing and prospering. So, um, sure, I'd love to have it. I'd, I'd love for us to have that space force here, but at the same time, I don't want to rely on federal dollars. I want to be able to tell the federal government, leave us alone, let us prosper and grow without the ridiculous constraints that you put on us. Um, and, uh, and, and I want our state to be, really be a sanctuary away from many of the overreach of the federal government. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that, and in, in ways, uh, you know, I do you agree with that. Yeah, you want to be untethered uh, from the federal government, certainly. We were uh, looking at Tom, trying to be mindful of the time. I was hoping to have uh, uh, Jim Condit on uh, talking about voting, because you know how important that is, uh, you know, these past uh, few years. And he'd like to see an you know, open vote count. Uh, he's uh, one of the co-founders of Watch the Vote uh, USA, uh, watchthevoteusa.com, and now, when it comes to the vote, um, you know, making sure that, you know, we, we, we can have a result and people not wonder, is this really the result? So what would you do to, you know, ensure to the people that, yes, I mean, the votes that we're seeing are accurate and uh, transparent? I think that's what we're going to need. I, I think people don't, think, uh, don't feel that the, the voting process uh, is transparent anymore. Is there something uh, that you, you could or would or you think you could, uh, can do uh, to make people more comfortable uh, with the transparency of the vote and that the vote we, votes we are seeing, uh, I know this would only be Ohio, uh, but they, it's something they can believe in? Well, first off, I'll tell you one thing I, I did do last year. I got myself appointed to the Medina County Board of Elections and spent one year understanding the process. We can complain about the process, but if you don't know the process, it's hard to complain about it. So I spent one year. I will also tell you that Ohio has an open process. You can go and watch the vote counts. Any citizen can, can watch what's going on, and they can supervise. So that's the other thing. The other good thing about Ohio is that every vote is looked at by a Republican and a Democrat. When I say the machines, everything. So there is some internal controls on that already. None of the machines um, also, which is very important compared to other states, none of the machines have internet capabilities. So none of the machines have a chip in them where, an internet, where there can be internet capability, and that's required under state law. So again, another positive thing. What I've said though is, what would be the best way to assure is we do have a, a system that has some internal controls on it, but I was a CPA for years. I understand that even though you have internal controls, 
every once in a while you need an outside review. And that's why I said under my platform, um, we're going to do outside audits at least every four years at a minimum, forensic audits so that people are comfortable. They're going to be random. They're going to be uh, so that nobody can say, oh, well, this is a year we better be better. We're going to do random audits of different places, straddle, straddle the counties, and make sure that we have uh, a good random sample um, of, our, of our vote. And then the other thing I think that really adds a safeguard in Ohio, and I'm going to push for as governor, is a voter ID. Um, it, you know, the argument is some people can't afford it. It should be a state-issued voter ID. If you have a driver's license, you can use that. If you don't have a state-issued voter ID, then the state will provide you one. Then you have to have a voter ID to vote, and I think that will be important as well. And uh, as serendipitous as it is, we do have Jim here, so let's go ahead and welcome Jim, the second Jim. <laughs> we got two Jims on the uh, on the line here, so I'll try to differentiate between the two. I guess I maybe have to use the, uh, the last names, but uh, Jim Condit, uh, thank you very much for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Oh, fine, thank you. And I, I oh, do we have an echo or something? I think we do. I'm actually hearing one. Yeah, when uh, Joseph was talking, I heard an echo with him. Is it better now? No, I'm still hearing it. We get to hear each other twice, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, I don't hear an echo, so it definitely must be okay, on your good. side. Well, I agree with everything the candidate good. just it's said. I for you, uh, Renee. Good. <laughs> hey, Mr. Renee. Yeah, Mr. Renee. I agreed with everything he just said, but could I ask you a question and then maybe follow up? Um, are you aware that in all 88 counties in Ohio, we have on election day a totally secret count, one that is not able to be observed by anybody? Are you aware of that? Well, on election day, you have Republicans and Democrats in every um, precinct overseeing the count. No, they are not. I mean, I don't mean to be blunt, but we only got a few seconds here. The Republicans and Democrats can watch nothing on Election Day. Now, you vote in Ohio. We vote on a paper ballot. People say we need paper ballots. We have paper ballots, and we always have had in most of Ohio. Now we got it in all of Ohio. Then they have us put it in that little ATM machine. We go right over there, and the Democrats and Republicans only watch who's signing in to vote. They cannot watch the count. And this has happened in all the counties in the country except for five. And – You've heard of Dominion now. Had you ever heard of Dominion before this election, Dominion Company? Yes, but, but, but I do want to tell you, what happens before that voting machine is, is yeah. up and running and the count is done, there's a test done, and anybody can review the test. And what they now, do what do on mean? the test yeah. Go ahead. What they do on the test is they actually, and I've observed it, I've observed the machines and I've observed the test, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll do – they, they'll, they'll take a vote count, and they'll run it through the machine, and then they'll test that what, what was voted on by the paper ballot equals and, and matches what comes out on the other side. Maybe it's different in different counties, but in Hamilton County and the others I'm aware of, they just take that machine away. Nobody. What they do is at the end of the day, they have the, the people, the poll workers, count the number of ballots in Hamilton County. They'll count the numbers. They don't count any votes. 
So what, what county is that that they – what are you saying? They, they pull the votes out and run them through a scanner or something in some counties? No, 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 no. I want to make sure you're aware of what I'm saying. They take the machines before – they take the machines and they test. They randomly test the machines so they know exactly what the count going in and it equals the count coming out. So you do a random test on the machines before the machines are sent to the polls. Okay. 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 And now, now and then once yeah. they're and then once they're tested, they're locked by a Republican and Democrat with a key. Both of them have a key. Then they yeah. go to the precincts. Now this is Medina County, and I agree. Every county, you know, there are some no, counties ahead, that have just paid. Yeah, but I'm so then the Republican. So then the Republican Democrat in Medina County have to open up the machine together with the key so that the vote counts now. So that machine has been locked after they were randomly tested, and then they're opened. And, and, and then they sign in. So you come in, you sign a poll book in Medina County, and they'll say, in this precinct location, we had 8,000 votes. Then what they do is the Republican and Democrat together have to shut the machines down at the end of the night and tally the total votes, and it has to equal 8,000. If so it doesn't equal 8,000. You're talking about the number of ballots cast. Yeah, the number of people signed in has to tie into the number yeah. of ballots cast. Right. Okay, but, but but you know how if I call you on my cell phone to your cell phone, somehow it gets there. The three companies, there's only three, Dominion, Hart, and ES&S, Election System and Software. Those three are hired, each one each, and they count every – county in the country except about 141 of them they count all the major counties no one is checking and the board of elections has signed an agreement to let them count our votes on their secret software and they've agreed not to look at the secret software so i don't believe what you just said even gives us any any power whatsoever over making sure the vote is counted although i'm going to look into it what I what I what I I didn't really want to argue except I, I wanted to just bring this out. I wish that we could have a a Zoom call or a conference call with you and your key people, and I'll or I and I can send you uh, uh, the the letter. We, we have an open letter to Donald Trump, which they're not heeding, explaining exactly how this works. I've been fighting this stuff since 1979. Okay, which doesn't mean I'm right on everything, but what I would urge you to consider doing can't get anybody to do it yet i've talked to some of the other senate candidates is in your commercial say we've had a secret count in ohio for 30 years i want an open count for my voters i want the paper ballots to be counted at the precinct before they leave the by hand before they leave the public site now if you do that even if you are shown to be the loser on election day half the state's going to think you won uh, they'll think they cheated you if you if pe people are not aware we have this secret count, and I I can't I'll, I'll end now so others can have a chance. But I I will look at the Medina County. I do not believe when you actually look at it, there is any check and balance whatsoever on the count announced by these three companies, who nobody's ever heard of. The Board of Elections accepts it without question. The news media accepts it without question, and most people not realizing the maliciousness of these three criminal companies. Dominion's a, they're all criminal companies. They're violating the Supreme Court decisions against secret counts. So everybody thinks, well, of course, this can't be done nationwide. 
unfortunately it can be but um uh anyway um maybe robert um maybe you could leave with him if you want to do it uh, that we do a zoom call and beforehand i would send you the nine pages so you could look at it but i I, i'm only bringing this up because i'm rooting for you and i'm afraid that we're going to all wake up on election day to say the computer said the wine one and the computer said that Josh Mandel won because those are the two, as far as I'm concerned, those are the two establishment candidates. And uh, I, 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 unless I find something I haven't found, there are no checks and balances on what those those companies tell the counties to publish, and they never question what they tell them to publish. So thank you for listening yeah. to all that. No, I'd love to. I'd love to talk with you on a, a separate Zoom call. Like I said, yeah. I spent a year with the Board of Elections. I feel pretty confident. I understand the system. The only thing I think you're indicating is that if Jim Renacci goes in and votes for Donald Trump, that when I walk it, when when I when I when I punch the machine in Medina County, I have the paper ballot. I look at that paper ballot. It says I voted for Donald Trump. I then walk over. To the tally machine, and I push it in, and I let it tally that that vote. Um, yep. That that tally machine is that uh, what I'm telling you in Medina County. That tally machine is tested before and after to assure yeah, but, that but they, the vote they count change it was during the day. Though they change it during the day, they don't change. Of course, it works out before and after because they mess with it during the day. And if you try to check what happened during the day, you cannot do it. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm with, with respect and in a friend because I'm rooting for you. I'm just saying I don't – I think they, they give you a snow job. They believe the snow job. The local board of elections does. But let, 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 we would not have to have more than a 10-minute or, or minute call on Zoom. But if you, if, if, and if you read well, those, rem- these nine rem- pages – yeah, go ahead. Remember, what I, what I would like to do is a forensic audit as well, which you know, a forensic audit means you actually go – to the individuals, you ask them if they voted. You go, you know, you send out. So, so, so there's a lot to a forensic audit. That's, now you're tying your vote. You're, you're determining whether yes, I did vote. I mean, so yeah, I think some yeah. of this would be spelled out if you had a forensic audit, which I do believe is necessary. Well, if you have the count at the precinct on film, then you got it covered, and you can do any checks you want after that. But um, you know, people say we have a paper ballot in case we need a recount. How about the count? And, and, and the other thing is, like in Arizona, those ballots have disappeared for six months. I'm sorry. These companies are criminal countries. companies. They control the recounts, not the people at the Board of Elections. They bring in these companies. The ballot has disappeared for 15 minutes. Someone could switch the ballot. Since Adam and Eve, the crooks, have wanted to get our votes in the back room, so that we couldn't see what they were doing, and that's what they have going now. And okay, anyway, let's try to just at least do a ten-minute thing. But beforehand, if you could leave Robert with an address, I'll overnight you these nine pages, the open letter to Donald Trump, before we have the Zoom call. Uh, okay, and I'll check into the Medina thing. I want to call up there because it, it it may be something I'm not familiar with. So okay, sounds good. I appreciate well, it. Thank the, you for your way, time. Our, our, our website is watchthevoteusa.com. We have a blog, and I've been, I've been fighting this com- secret computer count since 1979, which, again, doesn't mean the guy that's been fighting it the longest has all the answers. I'm just saying that we have been really – but watchthevoteusa.com is, uh, is our website, okay? 
All right. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, and good luck. Good luck again. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking to be mindful of the time for our, our guests. We got uh, Tom stated that, you know, you'd be able to give us an hour. We certainly appreciate all the time that uh, you do have. If you want to uh, – now, for that, do you want to give that address, or should I call uh, – have Jim, you know, call you directly or call Tom, or what's your thoughts on how Tom, to, Tom, to do the contact? Yeah, Tom, Tom, can you- Tom can give you the contact information off off uh, okay. offline. Okay, and I'm going to send you an overnight first with these nine pages, so we don't, you know. The, the, okay, and and Robert, do you know how to contact Tom? I do. I have his phone number. We spoke. Uh, okay, then that's I've good. Got we got his phone number and email. Mm-hmm. We got we got it covered then. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. And so, uh, again, Jim, uh, yeah, dude, we certainly appreciate you coming on. Hopefully uh, the next time we, we have you on, you're a uh, Republican candidate, uh, Jim Renacy, uh, uh, yeah. perhaps. Uh, and then we could talk about the, that campaign. And then, you know, I remember we had Matt Bevin on a couple times uh, when he was running. Uh, and then, you know, maybe when uh, you're governor, then we can have some conversations on how things are going. But in the remaining uh, three minutes we have you, uh, if you'd like to have any closing statements or closing comments or anything you want to discuss, uh, um, well, I mean, get, if, if you can make it, yeah, I've got Joseph said he's got one question. If it's real quick, I do want to be mindful of, of Jim's time. Uh, if it could be a quick question and answer, and then if you could go over any closing comments he wants to, that he wants to impart on us uh, tonight, appreciate it. But real quick, Joseph. Can you unequivocally stand here today and say with the utmost confidence to the American people and fellow Ohioans that you will win the primary and you will go on definitively to defeat Governor DeWine? And that is my last question. My goal and the reason I jumped into this race is because I am the only one that has the team, the money, and the message that can defeat this governor and I would not be doing it if I did not believe I am in this race to win and I plan on defeating Governor DeWine. I wish I would have stayed in the race in 2017, uh, except that I had the president ask me to get out. But uh, uh, my goal and the reason I'm in this race is because I don't believe there's any other candidate that has the capabilities of defeating Mike DeWine and the machine that he has behind him other than me. Well, and I know uh, I know Trump did have uh, you know trust it, you know and you in both as a candidate I mean, asking you to run for Senate and I do remember that clearly and also Amy Murray um, was in his administration we had her on uh, late last year um, we've had her on a couple as well but yeah you know, she worked for his administration so that shows the trust that you know President Trump had in both of you uh, so yeah but if you want to do some closing comments uh, that you'd like to make you know impart on us tonight uh, we appreciate it. Well, again, thank you for having me on. Um, This race is one of the most important races in our country. We need to be able to remove candidates like Mike DeWine. I got into this race because I believe I'm the only one that can do it. I hope that uh, your listeners go to jimrenacy.com, J-I-M-R-E-N-A-C-C-I.com. You can see, learn more about me, get my message, see what my platform is, and see what my plans are. I hope that uh, we can unite and come together and defeat uh, this governor who has actually acted like a liberal Democrat um, versus a conservative Republican. And I think together we can do that as long as we come together 
and and uh, um, don't split the vote to such a fashion that Mike DeWine gets another term four years. That will be the worst thing that could happen for our state, for our country, for our kids and our grandkids. So I'm asking for your listeners. Um, I'm asking for their vote. JimRenacy.com. And again, thank you for having me. Well, thank you very much. We look forward to talking to you again. I'll reach out to Tom, uh, you know, get the information so you and Jim can uh, connect for that. But, no, we certainly appreciate it, and uh, good luck in your endeavors. Thank you much. Take care. You're welcome. Take care. So, folks, that was Ohio, Ohio Republican gubernatorial candidate for the primary, Jim Renacy, going up mainly uh, Mike DeWine. Uh, and generally – and we'll get uh, some other comments from both uh, you, Jim, and uh, for you, Joseph. Well, a lot of J's tonight. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and normally, you know, I agree with having, you know, a lot of people inside a, a primary. I, I'd like to have as many choices as possibly we can. I mean, I, I used to be a very big supporter of, of, you know, multiple parties running an election, too. But unfortunately... Uh, the reality is, is, is they do, and this, and I think this even happened to Trump um, when it came to some libertarians who voted for you know whoever their libertarian ran, you know, in some of the states that that did take votes away from Trump, and that that could have been significant in the election, especially I believe in Pennsylvania, uh, it could have uh, it could have made a difference. But normally I support uh, third part, you know, third parties, alternate parties, maybe locally. I don't know if we'll ever get to the national level. Uh, uh, maybe locally, you know, state houses and maybe even, you know, you know, legislatures, things of that nature. I don't know about the nationally. I do agree. I mean, I am concerned. I mean, I've had an opportunity to listen to uh, Joe Blystone. Uh, we haven't had him on the show yet, and perhaps we perhaps we will. I, I have reached out to some of their, their folks uh, to no avail, but these people, as you know, just take time to, to be able to reach and get on the program. And we um, now we're, we're actually working on. I'm, I'm trying to get back to getting uh, Congressman Steve Shevitt, who's running on uh, next week. But you know, I, I've, I've talked a, a few times to his campaign manager and had some emails, but haven't had anything nailed down. So maybe not be next week. I know I've been uh, promoting that it could have been, but well, I'll, I'll keep you posted because nothing's really been been hammered out yet. And I've got uh, some feelers out to some other candidates I'm waiting to hear from. Uh, so anyway, so generally, I mean, I would support having, you know, as many people in a primary as possible. But Jim does make uh, some good points where – and I even had some friends I've been working with on other projects who, you know, disagreed with my initial, like, hey, let's get as many people in. But I am starting to gravitate more towards, you know – you know, what What would we do? I mean, maybe tell, you know, Hood and Blystone, you know, you have a place, you know, you'll have a seat at the table uh, if we, you know, if, if, I, if I run. But, you know, I mean, I don't know what all the legalities of these conversations can be. Uh, but certainly, you know, it is going to come down. It, it, it could split the, the conservative vote or the citizen candidate vote, as we're calling it. Uh, and, and DeWine could end up winning, and then it wouldn't ma- really make a lot of a difference. I mean, it was still some, whether, you know, he won again or, or Cranley. I mean, Cranley, who I think is going to probably win the primary, uh, you know, here in Ohio, I mean, I would, I would, Jim, what's your uh, thought of that? I mean, Cranley, I see more of a moderate. Now, he did 
designate the city of Cincinnati as a um, as oh shoot uh, what what kind of city a sanctuary city for illegals? So that that's not a very moderate move. But for most other things, you know, he's he's been pretty moderate except that. I mean, what what you think, uh, Jim? And, and what is what is Cranley running for now? He's running for governor. He's in the gubernatorial primary for governor. For the Democrats. Yes, he's running for uh, Dan yeah. Whaley. Yeah, he's running for the Democrats. So he's not he's Renacy's in the Republican primary against DeWine and the others. Cranley's in the Democratic primary. And I think we found our echo. Well, we appreciate our guest being on, but I think that echo was probably something coming through his headset and then going to where he was speaking. I'm not that's hearing fine. that echo anymore. Right, that's fine. But but I don't understand. Did you are you agreeing that Cranley is in the Democratic primary for governor, not the Republican? Oh, yeah, it's for Democrat. He's running against Nan Whaley for the Democrats. Okay, so Cranley, you hit it right on the head. He sided with the police against the criminals, which not all mayors did, as you know. And but he was really he was moderate on that. Uh, he was not he was pro life, but he endorsed pro abortion candidates like uh, Hillary Clinton. In fact, he walked past me at an event where Bill and Hillary Clinton came to. I wasn't going in, but I was on the outside. It was cold as heck. And when he walked past, I said, Mayor Cranley. He didn't know how it was. Mayor Cranley, how can you be pro-life and support Hillary Clinton who, for presidents for abortion up to the ninth month, legal abortion, walking? He was with his wife and some friends, and he just looked at me and kept walking. There's not really any answer to that question. But, you know, um, yeah, but outside, he, he was modern, and I'm afraid this new mayor is not going to be. But, yeah, I, oh, I yeah, have he's, to say, he's way left. Yeah. Pure and, evil. And, and, I mean, pure of all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pure evil. I he probably won this mayor's race, but he did not win against Winkler, which launched his career. That is, there's no no way it happened that he beat Judge uh, Tracy Winkler for um, for uh, Coca Cola. That did not happen. The Winkler name's been around for too long. His name was unknown, and the computers say he won. So. Um, they launched him because he's one of their guys like Josh Mandel. That they're, uh, if Mandel sounds good, but he'll be if, – if something isn't done uh, to really make the count controversial or if his affair he had on his wife isn't made really known somehow, and most candidates are not going to make that known, we're going to wake up and see Josh Mandel's in the Senate and Mike DeWine is back in the – and the governor's uh, thing, because DeWine has done so many services for him. And I wish that I could have been there when he, uh, Jim Renacy, was meeting with Medina County, uh, which I guess is where he's from. If I would have been there, believe me, they would have looked ridiculous because they they give you the answers like they gave him. And so, for instance, they test the machine at the beginning and the end of the day. That's true. They've done that for years. and to make sure, oh, yeah, see, it's working. They mess with the machine, of course, in the middle of the day from 9.01 until one minute till seven. And then you say, well, let's check the ballots against what they're claiming the count is. You can't get at the ballots. They just take them away and you got to sue or 
wait. And then usually when you want to see ballots, let's say you want to see 10 precincts, two weeks in advance, which precincts you want. You just don't go in and walk and say, I want to see the, these precincts. you got to give them two weeks. They then call in the representative from one of these three criminal companies, and they prepare the ballots. And there's never been one case where the ballots substantially contradicted the published computer count. So I can tell he's feeling I'm at this moment that there's enough checks and balances in the system, but there is not. And uh, I'm so sorry that, you know, if, if something isn't done, we're going to have a problem with, uh, you know, with the result. Uh, just one second, Robert. I got to get a call. Be right back. Okay. Yeah, let's go ahead and uh, get some uh, comments uh, from from you, Joyce. Let's go ahead. Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I think the candidate was uh, clear and concise. He was able to uh, specify what his platform was. And uh, he also uh, was uh, able to own up to it, which is something that most people – hold on one second. I'm so sorry. Uh, he's also willing to own up to something when he doesn't know the answer to it instead of trying to cover for it. So that I did appreciate about him. Uh, I think the key to winning the primary, and I think this is really going to be the case, um, I think that this is really, really, really going to be the case around the country, is getting that endorsement from Donald Trump. Uh if we're talking about the Donald Trump of 2018, if we're talking about the Donald Trump of 2018, uh, he did not carry uh, that much weight and power that he carries now. I think, it's, I think it's hard to argue that he by far is the de facto leader of the Republican Party, of the conservative movement, and he's probably uh, – he is the most uh, polarizing and popular uh, man on the planet politically, uh, similar to Bill Clinton when he first left office uh, after eight years in the White House. Of course, that faded out over the years, and Bill Clinton is very unpopular right now. Um, but, you know, that's going to be the key for anyone who's running, right? Uh, you got to get that endorsement because, you know, pretty much – and I hate to say it, and I know it shouldn't come down to this, but it's pretty much going to come down to a popularity contest. It's going to be like American Idol. One thing I hated about American Idol was they never voted for who was the better talent or the better singer. They always voted for who they liked best, look-wise, uh, charisma-wise, fashion state-wise. It was more like a popularity contest. And that is exactly what it's going to be in 2022, unfortunately. We can't change that. So I think uh, someone who has a viable campaign, such as uh, our candidate, Jim, that was just on the show, and as long as he gets that key endorsement and he's willing to throw the punches like he said he's willing to do, uh, I have every confidence you can't go wrong because this is what I would call the purge, like the movie. This is the year where Donald Trump becomes a surrogate for the very first time, well, not for the very first time, but, but as the most popular, polarizing, political, conservative leader on the planet. And this is going to be the ultimate test for him, is who he endorses up and down the ballot for governorships, for mayorships, 
uh, for Senate, for Congress. It's going to make a big, big deal who he endorses, who gets across that line. I'm confident that if Donald Trump endorses you, pending that the candidate is running a viable campaign, he's able to throw the punches at his opponent, he's clearly able to contrast and say into specifics what he or she would do differently. Uh, I don't see this year being a year of establishments winning. I actually see this to be the year where the establishments and the status quo on both parties are taken down. And it's about time because, remember, people have their love and faith in Trump because Trump represents the best of what America is. And I always tell people, the myth is you're giving your loyalty to the president. No. When you give your loyalty to the president, you're giving your loyalty to the country because everything Trump has said and done has always been for the best for our country. And I'll say one more thing. What I commend about the guest is when Donald Trump asked him to get out of the race, he did. And that was a very smart decision back in 2017 because at the end of the day, there's one thing I know about Donald Trump is he rewards loyalty. And if it's one thing that Jim needs to get across that line in the general is that endorsement from Donald Trump. In my opinion, I think he's pretty much very much well earned it. I think it should be on the horizon. I hope so. But to be honest, Robert, and I'll defer back to you, out of every candidate you've had so far this year, this election cycle and last year, I say that uh, Jim uh, is, in my opinion, the most viable candidate that I've heard uh, of this year out of any other guests you've had running for office and last year as well. But like I said, that is just merely my opinion, and I defer back to you. Well, I'm back. I mean, we have ha- – oh, go ahead. Go ahead, uh, Jim. No, no, I just wanted – you go ahead. I just wanted to alert you I was back on the call. Go ahead, Bill. Okay. Yeah, well, well, we had uh, – you know, on a number of occasions, uh, another uh, governor, he's not governor anymore, and that was Matt Bevin. Uh, he, he, I think first he came on the show when he was running in the primary against uh, Mitch McConnell, actually. When he was running against Mitch McConnell, he first came on the program. And then when he was running for governor uh, of uh, Kentucky, he, he was on the, the program a couple times as well. Now, hopefully, if you know, Jim does get uh, to be governor, we're able to have him on the show while he's governor. I remember uh, talking to, on many occasions, uh, Matt Bevin's communication director, <laughs> trying to get uh, Matt on the show. And let me tell you, it, it was we never did. I mean, while we never did get Matt back on the show while he was governor. I know that's, you know, it can, it can be a difficult thing to do, you know, especially if we're not a you know, a, a Fox News or something, but, <laughs> but um, you know, what's, so maybe if, uh, you know, Jim gets in, uh, that would be a dynamic that would, that would change. By the way, I, 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 um, this is Jim, Robert, I, I, I'm rooting for these guys. I mean, I agree with you though. Um, they're going to split the vote is one problem. That is a problem, but, these, you know, these are good-hearted guys, normal people who are trying to make a difference. And in, in the olden days, 
often the guy who was the normal guy would beat the establishment politician. But I, I, they, the biggest problem we got is that Jim Renacci and um, Blystone are too good-hearted. They, 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 they can't imagine how evil people are fighting are and how they do fix the vote. And when you go to try to check anything in a meaningful way, you can't do it. And uh, so I'm, I, <laughs> I'll do my best on this conference call, uh, this Zoom call with him after I send him the info. But the biggest problem may be that they feel they're going to look kooky if they ask for an open count. But at any rate, so, but thanks for getting him on and thanks for letting me talk to him. No, yeah, no, we appreciate it. Then, you know, stay on as, um, as long as you can. But, but I know, uh, Joseph Pierce got, uh, what's a, he has a question for you, Jim. Okay. Hi, Jim. Jim, I like that you, uh, you brought the game. You, uh, you, uh, challenged the, uh, challenger, which is very important. I think that's important. And you didn't challenge him just for the the basis of challenging him. You challenged him for a good cause uh, he, about yeah, the, he, uh, he the voting wins. issue. Yeah, so, so I think that's great because I think the tougher the questions, the more stronger that's going to make the candidate. And, hey, you know, the candidate admitted he wasn't sure. But what I respected about the candidate was he owned it and he said, I may not know all the answers. And I really think it's amazing that both of you are going to get in contact with each other. But you never yeah. know, you know. Uh, it can turn into a very positive thing. Maybe you, you, you turn out to collaborate with the campaign and help him with other areas that he may not be knowledgeable in, and he can do vice versa. But I thank you for your contribution. Uh, I think you did the right thing. If a candidate comes on a show, it's fair game. Uh, the people have the right to ask the questions. You ask them the hard questions. He didn't know the answer. But you did it with uh, civility and with discourse, and uh, that's the difference between conservatives and liberals. I tend to believe conservatives, we do things with civility. Liberals, they want to chop your head on a block or have your head on the chopping block. And I'll defer yeah. back to you, Rob. Well, I, you know, uh, what you just said, he was very gracious. Jim Renacci was very gracious. And I, I told him I was saying it with respect. Only in the interest that if he wins, he wins. They don't cheat him, you know. And uh, I also said I didn't know that I knew everything. But I will check out this county, Medina County. I will 99.99% guarantee you when I get done questioning them, I'll come back and tell you what they said. There's no way to double-check that vote, even for the heads of the Board of Elections in Medina. They sign it over to whoever they're using and – there's just no way to do a meaningful check. And that's all they care about, that you cannot check what results they publish. They'll put up with anything else but you actually having some way to prove or disprove the numbers that they publish. Well, and that's a big problem. That's one of the things I was kind of hoping, you know, he would, uh, you know, he would, you know, deal with if, if elected. And it was, it, I mean, I'm hoping that, you know, he, he's right with what he said there, and you know, I, I'm not saying any reason why he wouldn't be. But if you were to come back and say, uh, not really, I mean, it would be disconcerting that even, you know, people of this stature, they're keeping things from them. Well, absolutely, and the reason is they probably feel embarrassed 
to why you don't trust the Board of Elections. Now, the, the problem is even if you, me, and the, those on this call were running the Board of Elections, they should distrust us. The Founding Fathers distrusted everyone counting votes. Um, they, it's just like a bank. You, they don't trust people are going to not steal money. They, they assume everybody might steal money, and that's how the system's set up. And that's with votes, too. You've got to assume everybody might be tempted to cheat, even if they're not. And you put safeguards in place so that even if they want to cheat, they can't cheat. And these – I wholeheartedly agree. I think Jim has hit the nail on the coffin because if anything, if we learn from the past, is 2020, the biggest rig of our constitutional republic. So I'm in total yep. agreement with you, Jim. After you that, I, I have complete distrust in the system, complete, complete distrust. And I think a lot of Americans share that same angst, that we distrust our election process and we distrust our federal government more than ever, more arguably in the 242 years since we've been a constitutional republic. And so I'm glad you, you brought that up because it's valid because let me tell you something. Whoever is on the ballot for 2022 and 2024, it's going to be hunting season. You're going to have to have eyes from behind your head if you're running as a conservative Republican or as a conservative Republican populist because the Dems are going to try to pull all the stops to try to rig it again. But this time they're going to find out that 2020 cannot repeat itself, and Virginia was the proof in the pudding. They try to rig it in Fairfax County. They tried to rig it all across the board. They couldn't because the RNC had deployed its full force and might and legal resources in Virginia and in Seattle and in Long Island, New York, and in New Jersey. In, in New Jersey. And one more thing I wanted to bring up. Pretty amazing. Uh, the governor of New York has ended the mask mandate. She's lifting it except for the schools. Right. Um, also, the governor of New Jersey is lifting up all of the lockdown measures, and one would ask, what is the change of heart? And I would say the writing is on the wall. They know they are going to get massacred in the midterms. They yeah. see the writing on the wall, and they're praying that this is going to be their last Hail Mary. Only the time to have done that would have been when Biden got elected the leaders in the party should have stood up and should have did what Joe Manchin and Senator Sinema has been brave enough to do, and they weren't. So in the eyes of the American people and more than half the country, the 81 million Americans who legitimately voted for our rightful president, uh, we, we, we don't buy it. We don't buy their hocus-pocus. We don't buy their uh, – they're, um, what, what, whatever they're trying to do here as a Hail Mary. It's not genuine. It's not sincere. They're just trying to save their hides because they know, and I'm going to make a prediction here, uh, and this is more of a spoiler alert. I am predicting that Republicans will win majorities in both houses by the largest landslide in GOP history. I pray I am right on that one. And well, if, if especially governors like in New Jersey who had, the string, who had one of the most stringent lockdown measures and New York, if they're reversing, it's not because they've had a change of heart. 
is because they're seeing the writing on the wall too, and they're trying to save whatever they think they have left of their legacy. Only one day history will judge them rightfully, and they will be judged by history, by their actions, and they will be judged as those who try to overthrow our constitutional republic, who try to change the ways of this greatest country in the world, or as Barack Obama once said, transformably change our country if we only knew in 08 the hope and change, if we only knew that he wanted to fundamentally transform our country, if we only knew what he meant was he wanted to be the most leftist president in history, and he proved to be so until Biden, the regime, stole the election. Yeah, old sippy coach Biden. Let's see. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. It is 924, ladies and gentlemen. I must make an announcement on the People's Show. The president fell asleep at 8 o'clock. He was given his <laughs> sippy cup and his milk by Dr. Biden, who wants to believe that she's a renowned neurosurgeon like Ben Carson. Keep on dreaming, Jill. Keep on dreaming, Jill. Keep on dreaming. It was a PhD. It's a doctorate. But you don't have a medical degree. And, you know, that's basically it. They see the writing on the wall. That's why so many people have are retiring in Congress and in the Senate. Uh, what say you, Jim? And uh, what say you, Robert? No, I think, go ahead, Jim. I think you're hitting a lot of nails on the head, especially that they can't pull a computer theft unless it's believable. And no matter what they say, how great the economy, how many jobs they have, Every time I go to the gas tank and I'm paying almost double for gas, and so is everybody else. That's what sticks out of their mind about how bad things are going, you know. And I would just say this. It is right to be skeptical of the voting establishment every vote, just like you're skeptical of the tellers at the bank. They got a balance to the penny. So there's nothing to be ashamed to be skeptical. The founding fathers were skeptical. And, and build in you, – we've got to have checks and balances against people cheating because there's a great temptation to cheat. And that means we get rid of these three companies, Dominion, Hart, and ES&S, that are counting all our votes except for half of New Hampshire. Forty-nine and a half states are counting our votes on their secret programs with the full permission of the brain-dead boards of elections. So we got to get back to paper ballots counted by neighbors by hand in the precinct, pre-selected neighbors out of a hat or something, those votes in public before they leave the public site. Now you have a verifiable election. Robert, I've got to make a few calls because I, I, things that are happening that i got to make sure people have. Uh, how long are you going tonight? Uh, well, we'll we'll only be able to accept calls coming in for the next 30 minutes. Uh, once we get into okay. Bard's Logic after dark, after 30 minutes, uh, okay. we won't be able to uh, take in any more calls. Okay, well, I'll try to get back by then. If not, I really appreciate, if, I, if these guys keep me too long, I really appreciate. Um, and if you ask me, Robert, when we talk again, I'll tell you what what event I'm helping some people get to that is could be very important, could really be far side up tremendously. But um, anyway, I appreciate you arranging the show and, and letting me talk to the a very important guy, Jim Renacci, you know, who could really make a difference. Oh, one other thing, though, Robert and everybody, Bevan was cheated in Kentucky. He, 
you know, Trump came in and did a rally. The other guy had no rally, of course, because they can't attract people. He had a big rally, and every Republican candidate in Kentucky won by a landslide except Bevin. His was rigged. How is it possible that every other Republican, including a black Republican, won by a landslide? But, oh, Bevin, he, he suddenly lost by 5,000 votes. That, that's tiff, that is blatant. Oh, I've seen of, it flip. I actually sent a video. I've seen a yeah. video of, of, of votes that were exchanged. Yes, yes. Okay, well, listen, i got to get a call coming in. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye. That sounds good. Now get that information uh, to Tom uh, for you know trying to get the contact information and that address. So I'm going to try to get that address and I'm going to uh, try to get the uh, the contact information uh, for Jim and AC so that they can uh, correspond uh, off the air. So hopefully we'll be seeing that. So well, right now it's uh, uh, just me and you, Joseph. We do got a caller on. Uh, callers on. If you want to be a part of the show, just push the one uh, on your number dial, and we'll certainly get you into the show. Um, so yeah, and I've been trying to uh, get uh, Red AC in for for a little while. So it, it is does make me happy that uh, we were able to get him onto the program. And yeah, if he does get to be governor, hopefully we'll be able to you know you know bend his ear uh, while he's uh, there. Now, of course. As governor, I don't know if he would be able to stay, you know, a whole hour with us, uh, like you know some candidates uh, have. I mean, I mean, we've had candidates stay on for the entire show, uh, but I would certainly appreciate, you know, uh, him coming in and, and spending the hour with us. And hopefully, we'll have him, you know, again if he does win the primary, we'll certainly have him back on, you know, or at least try to have <laughs> him back on when he's running against who I think is probably going to be John Cranley. Uh, now, there's only two people in that race, and, you know, as much as I'd like to see, you know, uh, as I said earlier, other candidates such as Blystone and, and Hood, I, I mean, I really don't want to see uh, DeWine get the um, – because, frankly, I mean, if DeWine does get, does get the nomination in the primary, I mean, it very, I mean, the Democrat very well may win. I mean, I do think that's a distinct possibility. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do. And like I said, you know, it's really going to, I hate to say it, it's, it's going to be a pop, it's going to be a combination of many factors, uh, including a popularity contest, but it really is going to make all the difference in the world to have that endorsement, uh, from Donald Trump. When Bill Clinton was in office, first two years, he took a major shellacking. One thing I always give credit to was he listened to uh, James Carvel, who was his uh, senior uh, strategist and advisor, uh, and, and he moved to the center, and he did what needed to be done, and he had a successful uh, six years uh, in office. Hold on one second. Sure. So while we're checking that out, one of the things I want to bring up, uh, uh, you know, in the programs, kind of, totally off of the, the topic of the election is uh, the, the developments that's happening in Canada. Uh, when I've got an article here, and you can find the article on the Bards Logic Political Talk website at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Uh, you can go to the Bards Logic newsroom, and this is one of the articles you'll find there. And, uh, you know, the, the, the title of the article 
is uh, Canadian provinces begin backing off vaccine mandates amid lingering freedom convoy protests. Uh, and those, uh, the provinces are Alberta and Saskatchewan. Uh, now, I'm kind of hoping that uh, – now, that this is just within, you know, like, uh, you know, vaccine mandates to be inside the country. Now, whether – and I haven't had time to do research on this, but I, I know in Ottawa they have it, but I'm hoping that they change people going in. I mean, I was actually planning a trip to Canada uh, in, on, in Ontario, uh, the province of Ontario, in May. But I don't know if I'm going to, you know, they're going to open up because right now you have to have those uh, vaccine. You have to be vaccinated in order to enter Canada from an outside country, uh, you know, which you and now I remember when it used to be where you don't need a passport, but you actually also need a passport now to get into Canada. And are you back with us, Joseph? Okay. And so what we'll do is we'll get to that article Um where it goes, uh, let me start from the top. It says, some Canadian provinces announced they are rescinding their vaccine mandates as protesting Canadian truckers. Hmm, maybe they should do that here in the United States. Uh, continue to block major arteries of the Canada-U.S. border and clog the Canadian capital despite a crackdown from the Ottawa police. Uh, Alberta Premier Jason Kenney announced during a Tuesday evening press briefing that the province's vaccine passport program would end effective midnight and that most of the province's health rules would be over in three weeks. Now, I'm hoping, again, you know, not only is – now, the ban of people coming in might be a a national instead of a province uh, province deal, so that may be why they're still having those restrictions getting inside the Canada. This is Alberta – this is our approach to COVID must change – as the disease changes, Kenny said, the restrictive exemption program has served its, per- its useful purpose and it has done its job. Now, what I'm stating is, especially with the vaccines, you have where they're not even they're not even working against COVID now. So why bother, you know, having these vaccine mandates or vaccine passports uh, when the vaccine isn't keeping people from getting? COVID. I mean, it may not even be helping people. It be lessened now, statistically, perhaps. Uh, but I do know of instances where that's not always the case. I mean, when I had COVID uh, late last year, I know somebody who's you know young, you know almost two decades younger than me, and they had COVID worse than I did. You know, uh, you know, younger you know person, uh, they, they had COVID worse than I did. And it says, uh, Kennedy attributed his administration's change of heart uh, to high vaccination rates, declining hospital cases, and a continued drop in the spread of the Omicron variant, though his province has also made international headlines because recalcitrant truckers shut down a major boarding crossing into Montana for more than a week. Alberta has also drawn attention for its repeated imprisonment of clergy. Uh, I remember that we act. Yeah, we actually had a gentleman on uh, the show who you know got arrested uh, in Canada as well uh, when he got there for you know not wearing masks and, and preaching. He actually got arrested for that uh, there in Canada. And uh, but you know when we interviewed him here, him here on the on the show, 
Uh, I, you can look back in the archives uh, to, to find that. It says, Kenny also relented regarding the restrictions on children in the province, announcing that mandatory mask rules will be canceled for children under 12 in all settings and for all children in schools, given the very low threat that COVID-19 poses to the health of children. And frankly, folks, it's never been any different. It is no longer justifiable after two long years to continue to disrupt the restrict uh, and restrict the normal lives of kids, the premier said. Frankly, they never should have in the first place. The Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe also said Tuesday that his government will start lifting its pandemic health orders in a phased approach beginning Monday with the removal of its vaccine passport program. Quebec, which previously announced plans to punitively fine the unvaccinated, said Tuesday that most restrictions will be lifted by March 14th. The busiest border crossing in North America was shut down Monday as Canadian truckers made it to the Detroit-Windsor border, snarling traffic on a major thoroughfare into Michigan. Ottawa Mayor Jim Watson declared a state of emergency Sunday afternoon as approximately 500 trucks and vehicles with the, quote, Freedom Convoy continue to linger in the streets of the Canadian capital to protest vaccine mandates. The declaration came hours after Ottawa police threatened to arrest anyone who brings fuel or other materials to the truckers. Could you believe it? How fascist is that? Where they're like, oh, we're just going to get, you know, arrest anybody who's bringing them gas and other uh, materials to support the truckers. I mean, that, that's just amazing that that they would do that. But, hey, hey, finally the people have spoken, right, uh, Joseph? Correct, and it's beyond the pale. And it just goes to show you that liberalism is not only a plague in our country, but it's also a plague in other countries, such as Great Britain, such as Canada, Justin Trudeau, who's basically had to walk back everything he impeded. And the only reason why he's lifting the mandates on COVID-19 is because they were on his way to voting him out of office, and he, the power of the people are, are against him. These Canadian truckers, I commend them for what they're doing. They're fellow patriots who are trying to save their country, and boy, are they making a, uh, a, a statement, a statement that Justin Trudeau is, is now, uh, I believe, acting out of fear, and he's backpedaling all of his draconian policies uh, he issued. Same thing with the Prime Minister of uh, uh, Great Britain. Uh, The vote was um, on the parliamentary to actually vote him out of office. That's how unpopular his COVID-19 lockdowns were as well. Um, And so he had to quickly backpedal, capitulate, and then agree to lift all the uh, COVID-19 lockdown measures. So it's not just our country that's uh, suffering through this uh, pandemic that's been politicized for all the wrong reasons. You also have our European allies and Europe that's also in chaos. And then you have Australia. Oh, yeah. If you listen to Sky News, which is actually a very popular Australian conservative news outlet where actually a lot of Americans are starting to get their news from. I'd say they're better than Fox News on any given day. You've got to get it from Australia. (laughs) Correct. No, yeah. Um, Australia, what they're doing is horrible. I mean, they're locking people in in, in camps, which they're not talking about. Uh, If you're COVID positive, they lock you in a a camp. 
until you prove to be COVID negative. I mean, things like you don't, you, you would never think you would hear from a country like Australia, um, who has also been a strong ally of, of you know, uh, our country for a very long time. And people are just starting to revolt in Australia. The people can't take it anymore. Uh, the prime minister there also issued probably the most draconian lockdown measures, even more, much more severe and stringent than the ones that Justin Trudeau implemented or the the prime minister of of great britain has implemented now that they backpedaled it so yeah we're, we're, we're not the only ones in in this mess in this fight you have a lot of other people and other countries who are fighting to save the soul of their country and it starts with and the lockdown measures and this madness this madness is a plague that is destroying our planet it's more dangerous than this hocus-pocus global warming that these uh, wonderful liberals like to espouse as the most existential threat that we currently face. No, the most existential threat that we currently face globally is liberalism. It is a cancer, and every time it is carried on to another European country, look at the proof in the pudding. It ends in disaster. It ends in chaos. You have people in all European countries right now who are in the streets rioting, protesting, vice versa. The world is engulfed in flames. And those who continue to peddle this garbage that COVID-19 is real, it's, it's baloney. The Spanish flu did not shut down the global economy. And the Spanish flu killed more people than COVID or influenza had. And so this needs to end, and it can only end by us electing those who make a vow. You elect me, and one of my key campaign promises is to never issue a lockdown measure in any way, shape, or form, especially in the name of COVID. You elect me, and on day one, I will represent freedom and not tyranny. And I was hoping we could dedicate some time on this show today, unless we have any other callers, um, being that Kelly couldn't make it again. Uh, FYI, I got an email. Kelly's still on another date. I know. I know. That's okay, Robert. You and I will speak <laughs> about it uh, um, at the end of the show. Uh, I think we're going to have to um, cut back his pay a little bit. Yeah, he hasn't been carrying his weight, so... Little rate reduction, but we can talk about that more discreetly after the the show. Um, but uh, I'd like to talk about NASA. I'd like to talk about the future because uh, I know this show is so popular. Uh, it's very rare that it's just you and me on the show. The show is very popular, but I want to take advantage that it's just you and me because it'll give us the floor to really talk about this topic because we, we all know what's great about the people show is when everyone chimes in, you know, the topics always segue um, because everyone has a different topic they want to discuss. But I think now is the time because it's the floor is just for you and me. And I want to echo the sentiment of I think the NASA uh, space program is very important for all the reasons that you brought up last week. In case people haven't listened to the archive show, the main reason is space superiority. That is how we win against our enemies. That is how we remain the most powerful military in the world. We have to be the most powerful military in the world on all levels, 
and it also has to be in the space war. And right now, China is leading in the space war. When we had Donald Trump in office, he made that a key issue that he wanted to work on and expand on. Now that Biden, the regime, which right now he's probably snoring, is asleep, they could care less about the space program, probably because in Joe Biden's brain, every day is a day in space. What say you, Robert? Well, yeah, certainly. I mean, I think it, I think it's unfortunately it's a topic that's greatly ignored. Uh, it doesn't make uh, you know it certainly doesn't make uh, make any news with the the lamestream media. I, I don't like using frames that other people use. That's I think Sean Hannity calls it that. So I don't I don't like to really use it. But you know what I call the alphabet media, uh, the propaganda arm of the Democrat Party. They certainly don't have any interest in it because I feel like that they've already given up on America and that. They don't, you know. That I think they, again, I think they feel like that if they just give over America uh, to China, then, you know, that somehow them and their families uh, will, will be protected. And, but yeah, I mean, we're we're getting we're beginning behind, but no one talk about it. even conservative media doesn't talk about. It. I mean, if you if you you know, uh, if you speak, you know, watch Fox News, you know, you know a lot. They, I mean. You, I mean, I, you know, love, you know, love Hannity, love, uh, you know, Laura Ingram, Laura, you know, love Tucker. Tucker's more varied than the other two. But I mean, if you watch them, I mean, you could probably watch them, you know, two nights a week and probably hear the same topics as if you were to talk to them five nights a week. I mean, they frankly talk about the same things over and over and over again. Um, I mean, and, and the, you know, and the left media is the same thing. You know, and I'm not really like blasting Fox News, but I'm just saying that you know they continually talk about the you know the same topics over and over and over again, and and, and a lot of your radio is the same way. I mean, we you know we duplicate some some topics here as well, but I think the reason why I I, I bring it up about the space program a lot is because frankly, n- no, not really anyone else is, and and I don't think they realize how important it is. I don't think they realize you know. And how much public support it's going to need, and by and and what the the media should do is to try to get the people behind it. I mean, there's going to be budgeting problems. I mean, some people say that oh well, you know, we shouldn't be picking winners and losers. I mean, we even had a candidate on who I was talking about the space program, and and he was even stating that oh well, you know, if we push too much support behind it, it's like we're picking winners and losers. It's, you know, and I, I had the respectfully disagree because I'm like, no, this is about our national security, and it just amazes me how many people just truly don't realize that. Uh, it, it, it's really true. You know, in the 19, late 1950s, early 1960s, uh, the uh, uh, American uh, Eisenhower and, and Kennedy especially uh, devoted uh, a lot of their platform to promoting the space war between back then it was uh, us between the Soviet Union and the importance of that. And I think that's been forgotten in everything that's going on today. I think it becomes relevant again, whoever the contender will be or the nominee for 2024. I think it's going to be Donald J. Trump. And if it is, I, I guarantee he will make it uh an issue that is relevant again on the campaign trail because it was a very important issue to him in his first term and he did make it an important one. He backed it with his actions 
And I think we just need him back on the trail again to make it relevant, to kind of remind, you know, the conservative, Republican, populist, independents, or all the supporters, um, you know, remember how important this is. And I think because no one is really talking about it right now, uh, every it's kind of falling through the cracks with everything that's going on right now with the whole house of cards falling. But I think uh, if Trump uh, does run again, which 95% chance he will, he wins the nomination. I think he does reinvigorate that that debate, that argument. I I do predict that he does bring it up, and I do predict he makes it uh, a very key staple of his platform and, and, and remind the American people of the importance of, of the space race and remind them that this is not the first time we've had a space race against our enemies. We had it against the Soviet Union, and now we are having it against China. And we must ensure that China cannot win on any level in any way, shape, or form. We just can't. We can't afford to. Yeah, and it's, and it's a shame we can't work together. I mean, I, I mean, if we if we spend as much money and effort uh, that we do on having to defend ourselves or making offensive military weapons uh, and actually put it towards working together, like, you know, a joint effort for a space program, space exploration, uh, I think, you know, we could get so much farther so quicker, so much quicker. Now, one of the things, uh, and, and I, I'm on Twitter a lot, and there was, uh, and, and The Hill always puts articles, you know, about, you know, the, the like they had, uh, whoever top Pence aide says he did not see a lot of legitimate political discourse on January 6th. And my reply to The Hill, because they're always talking about, you know, political, uh, you know, January 6th and, and politics, you know, I, I stated, you know, The Hill really should report stories that actually mean something and have real importance to our national security instead of being the propaganda arm of the Democrat Party. And here's a real story. You know, I've got a, an article here that I, that I posted to The Hill, uh, The Hill, you know, that, it's a, the Twitter response, and this is from the Denver Post. And it says, uh, Russian and Chinese aggression make this a pivotal moment for American military might. And this article here, uh, I'll go you know, through this. In the last, and this was January 27th, so this isn't that, that, not that long ago, this report. It says, in the last few months, Russia successfully destroyed one of its low-orbit or low-Earth low orbit satellites with a missile, and China successfully fired a hypersonic drive vehicle around the world. As General Mark A. Miley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said about the Chinese test flight, we are, quote, very close to a Sputnik moment as a, as a nation in space warfare. What we are seeing in space and in missile systems will change the nature of war in much the same way Aircraft and, and how many times have I said this about about how technology has increased from land to sea to air and space? And this article you know, points it out, you know, illustrates it by saying what we are seeing in space and in missile systems will change the nature of war in much the same way as aircraft and submarines altered warfare in World War One and nuclear weapons ended World War Two and ushered in the Cold War. This is a make-or-break moment for American military space superiority. Does our space adversary, our space, I'm sorry, our potential adversaries 
are quickly reducing our competitive advantage in every domain, air, land, sea, space, and cyber. Rogue nations like Iran and North Korea are seeking to destabilize their regions and are working to pursue nuclear weapon capabilities. Nu- uh, Russia's nuclear program, you know, so they talk more about, about that. Um, you know, in, in the article here, and it says the strategic force and scrolling down some says the strategic forces subcommittee of which I just became the ranking member. Uh, so this is Lambert, I guess, whoever's doing the quote, uh, plays a key role in this issue. I have the honor of being blah blah blah, uh, Colorado uh, congressman. Uh, you know, it's all like it, it's a subcommittee that's been it's created in Space Force. Let's see. So I just talked about, you know, you know what the, the Space Force is supposed to do. But the, the point is, is that, you know, we have – got to find this guy, and I'd love to get him on the show. Um, but the point is, is – I mean, this, this stuff is important, and you have a – I mean, instead of it being on the Hill and these national news outlets, right? I mean, this is, I mean you have to find articles in the Denver Post. The Denver, you have to be a Denver Post article in order to, uh, you know, have these types uh, of conversations and have these type of uh, reports. Exactly, and that's also one major issue that none of the candidates on your show for this election cycle have mentioned yet is NASA. I'm waiting for that one guest, that dark horse to be the first one to say it and actually give specifics on how they would go about making it uh, a staple of their platform and executing it in office. And I'm waiting for that one because that's the one that's going to stand above the fray. It's always the person who is not talking about what other people deem is the small potatoes that, that surprises us the most. And most of the time when they deem it to be not small potatoes, it turns out to be a big, fat, nice, juicy baked potato. Uh, And one thing I wanted to say about Pence, since you brought him up, and I I, I don't think I've really ever said this on the show, you know, make no mistake, there was no way Pence could have changed the outcome of certifying the Electoral College. But what is, he should have said that I – because of a conflict of interest, uh, I am stepping down and I refuse to take part in the certification. I, I am going to resign myself. I'm going to step down and I'm going to stand in solidarity with the rightful president, President Trump. That's what the American people were looking for Pence to do. The myth is that, uh, and, 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 and it's propagated by a lot of myth people on the left who want to maintain this narrative that Donald Trump somehow stupidly and naively thought that uh, he could get Pence to stop the certification of the Electoral College. No, he couldn't. What he was looking for his VP to do is he was looking for him to show that he had some cojones and say that I refuse to take part in this certification. I am stepping down. Someone else will have to take my place because I know – this election was rigged, and 81 million votes were dis- disavowed, 
and I cannot in good faith and conscience sit here and certify votes that I know not to be true and honest. And although I can't stop the certification, I could step down and stand in solidarity with President Trump and our fellow Americans. And he didn't do that. He didn't do that. The other day he was still, uh, I forget where he was at. He was having a speech. He was talking to reporters of how him and Trump are not really getting along in the best terms. Is because he just doesn't get it. He doesn't get what he did wrong. And, you know, for someone who is deemed to be such a smart guy, former senator, former governor of Indiana, you would think he gets it by now. Gerald Ford, in my opinion, he did the most courageous act. And he knew in doing this, Robert, he'd be committing political suicide. He knew by doing this one act, he would be done. But he knew it was the right thing to do. And what he did was he pardoned President Nixon. That's what he did. And it cost him his legacy, and it cost him his career. But he did right, in my opinion. History may judge him differently. But I think he did the right thing. And I think that's what Donald Trump was looking at Pence to do, and that's what his supporters were looking at Pence to do, and he didn't. He colluded with the Democrats and doing the certification. Just like Donald Trump didn't attend the inauguration, Biden. He didn't attend the ceremonies. Why would he? His election got stolen. And every time people say, well, oh, you know, he needs to stop talking of how the election was rigged. No, that's the problem, is he's not the first president to have the election stolen from him. And every other president who's had the election stolen from him, including Nixon in 1960, they all did the same thing. They caved in and they folded. And they said, well, we got to heal the country. We got to move on, so let's move on. No, 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 that's not how it works. And Donald Trump is going to keep talking about it because it's the truth. And that's the problem in our politicians today. They get to office and they forget what the truth means. They forget all about it. They forget their sacred oath and, and promises they made to the American people and their constituents, and they forget all about that. And Donald Trump was one of those rarities that didn't forget it. And I'm going to be honest, I didn't like Mike Pence to begin with because he's aloof. He has no charisma. He has no character. I mean, he does, but I mean, like, he's cold like a, uh, like a Carvel ice cream cake in a freezer. He doesn't have any charisma. Uh, I think he chose him because he wanted to choose someone who was really, really conservative to the right because there was a big argument, uh, especially with Ted Cruz supporters, in questioning Donald Trump as a conservative. And I think that's why mainly he chose Mike Pence. He would have done better if he would have chosen Newt Gingrich. I'll tell you why. Newt Gingrich has always been a fighter. Newt Gingrich never caved in to the mob. To this very day, he doesn't cave in. And I pretty much would think that if Newt Gingrich would have been the vice president, he would have stepped down and said, in good faith and conscience, I cannot certify this election. I must recuse myself because this is a travesty. This election was stolen, and I am going to recuse myself by standing in solidarity with the American people who 81 million Americans had their vote stolen from them and from our rightful president, Donald Trump. I know Newt Gingrich would have had the balls to do it, the guts to do it, the guts to do the right thing. 
So I'm very disappointed in Pence, a little bit disappointed in um, uh, the pre- uh, sorry, the uh, governor, uh, DeSantis, because DeSantis was speaking in the same room as Pence, and I'm thinking, buddy, if you want to be considered to be on the top of the list for VP, you don't want to be seen with Pence because Pence is guilt by association. And I'll give it the floor back to you after I make one more comment. Right after the election was rigged and Biden was sworn in, Mike Pence flew back to his hometown. He was booed in his hometown of Indiana. That just shows you where the American people are. He was booed completely. People, don't want, people are disgusted by what he sh- didn't do and what he should have had the nerve to do because if Gerald Ford had the nerve to do it, Pence, why didn't you? Question, because at the end, at the end, you turned out to be a turncoat. In the end, you weren't a fighter. You became an appeaser. In the end, you abandoned a president who put you on the map and believed in you and picked you to be his VP and had your back when he was president of the United States. And in the end, like many other people who were loyal to him in the beginning, in the end, threw him under the bus. And Pence, I believe, was the biggest betrayal, not just to our rightful president, but to our country. Shame on you, Mike Pence. Shame on you. And karma is a B. I'll defer back to you. Well, yeah, I mean, I was never a big fan of, of Pence. I mean, during the administration, he grew many some just – and that's probably because his uh, – you know, him get bit, well, and now Kamala Harris, you know, is the head of the Space Commission. Um, and he was too. And I, I mean, I think he certainly did a better job than what she did. But yeah, I was never a big fan. And, and there's actually uh, more people who, who wanted uh, Gingrich to be the vice president instead of Pence. Now, I got a different take, um, you know, or maybe an elaborated take on, on why I think Pen, uh, Pence was chosen is uh, Pence was Paul Ryan's boy. And if you recall at the time when uh, Trump was running, there was a lot of talk about a brokered uh, convention and or contested convention, and they were talking about, you know, doing that. And I really think that Paul Ryan went to Trump and said, look, if you want us to end, you know, this talk of a brokered convention – then you know you're going to basically pick Pence to be your uh, your running mate, and because I mean once he announced, remember once he announced Pence as the running mate, all talk of a broker convention ended. All talk of a broker convention ended. Um, and I remember one time, and I might have an audio clip somewhere uh, where Trump. That's the one thing that really upset me about Trump is because I was at the rally where Trump had Newt Gingrich with him, and he said that he would have a place within the Trump administration that had Newt Gingrich in it, and there wasn't. He did not appoint uh, Newt Gingrich to anything. And frankly, instead of having Rince Pubis you know, be his um, chief of staff, uh, which I thought was a horrible, a horrible, horrible choice, he should have – if he wasn't going to make – you know. Uh, Gingrich's vice president, he should have made him his chief of staff. I think he would have been much better served than having Rince Pubis uh, be his uh, chief of staff uh, than Gingrich. But he never did find a place for 
for Gingrich in the administration, which that always caused me consternation about Trump. Um, but no, I never, I never supported uh, Pence. I always wanted to be in Gingrich. Uh, the people, there was more people who were in favor of Gingrich being uh, the vice president than uh, than Pence. Again, I just think that uh, Trump was forced to do it. Now, I do want to play an audio here. It's not long. It's, it's, this is actually during speaking of the convention. Uh, this was actually during the convention, uh, and it had Eileen Collins, uh, who was talking about our space program. So I'm going to mute our mics while that, that audio plays. To command a space shuttle mission. Good evening. It's great to be here with you tonight. Thank you. From the moment the first pilgrims arrived on our shores, Americans have been asking, what's next? We are a nation built by the passion of people who weren't afraid to do something first, to step into the unknown and to pave our own way forward. We are a nation of explorers. In 1961, President Kennedy issued a challenge to America to land a man on the moon and return him safely to Earth. And 47 years ago, on this very day, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin answered that call and they walked on the moon. They took with them an American flag and a plaque bearing the inscription, Here, men from planet Earth first set foot upon the moon, July 1969. We came in peace for all mankind. We landed on the moon to fulfill a leadership challenge and to explore. We know that exploration leads to invention, innovation, and discovery. For example, our successful robotic missions to Mars, Jupiter, and Pluto have provided valuable information about our own planet. But in 2011, the space shuttle program ended. The last time the United States launched our own astronauts from our own soil was over five years ago. We must do better than that. <laughs> countries that are strong are countries that explore, invent, and discover to remain resilient in a changing world. I'm honored to have played a role in our nation's heritage of explorers as the first woman to command a space shuttle mission, joining the ranks of those that have fought to lead the way. Thanks. And we are all so proud of our Apollo program that put our astronauts on the moon first in peace for all mankind. Nations that lead on the frontier lead in the world. We 
need that visionary leadership again. Leadership that will inspire the next generation of explorers to have that same passion. We need leadership that will ask Americans, Americans will ask again, what's next? We need leadership that will make America's space program first again. And we need leadership that will make America great again. I want to thank all of you. Thank you for what you're doing. God bless America. And so one of the things uh, that she quote, uh, I want to quote from that, she said, those who lead on the frontier lead in the world. And to coin a phrase, I didn't coin it, you know where this, this phrase comes from, but space is the final frontier. It is the next frontier. It is what is next. And if we're going to, make, if we're going to remain to be leaders of the world, we need to be leaders in space. It's that simple. It absolutely is. You don't have to be an engineer from NASA to get it. Um, and like I said, I have every confidence that our rightful president, once he runs again and he's at the forefront, that he will make it a, a, a very staple of his platform again. And then, of course, the media will start talking about it again. Um, I really do believe that with all my heart and my might, and I completely agree with you as well. I think that Donald Trump uh, made a lot of mistakes uh, by Appointing the wrong people to be in his inner circle from day one, appointing the wrong people to be his chief of staff and, and different cabinet areas, even Nikki Haley to be uh, part of his uh, staff. Uh, he made a lot of mistakes, and I think a lot of influence was due to Jared Kushner, um, and I, but I do truly believe he's learned from those mistakes, and I do think that when he does run again, uh, he's going to be very much more cautious and very selective on who he chooses to be in his inner circle. But in Ryan's previous defense, uh, when January 6th occurred, he was one of the very few to come to the president's defense. And I got to respect him for that. I honestly got to too. Because so many so-called Trump loyalists who were riding the Trump train from 2015 to 2020 – uh, to um, 2000, sorry, 2021, uh, a lot of them turned out to, to throw them under the bus in the end. One of the very few that didn't and was very vocal in stating that he believed the election was rigged and that Donald Trump did not incite uh, the so-called in, uh, you know, insurrection of January 6th was Ryan's previous. So I, you know, I got to give credit to where credit is owed. To be honest, but I think he's going to be a very much more cautious president who's learned from his mistakes, and it's going to take him a lot of might to get back in, in power. He's going to have to pull a Grover Cleveland, who, if he does, he'll become the second president in history to be elected to one term, second term to not be elected, but it, we all know he was it was rigged, and then the third term to run again and seek office for a second time. And Grover Cleveland was the last president to do that. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely, I do think he's going to change uh, who he uh, appoints to be his chief of staff 
and other key, uh, you know, um, staff cabinet members. Um, I don't think even if Trump offered Newt Gingrich a place, I don't think Gingrich would take it, and I wouldn't blame him because the first time it should have been common sense for Donald Trump to have included him in the cabinet. If anything, when everything was said and done, I would think that along with Ryan's previous Newt Gingrich would have been the very few to not have thrown him under the bus in his moment of need. And I don't think at this point, I could be wrong, but I don't hear anything from Newt Gingrich uh, implying that he has any ambition whatsoever if Trump runs and becomes the nominee and wins, that he has any ambitions to be part of that cabinet or to serve as special counsel for the president. No, because it's a turnoff, and I don't, I, you know, I understand where New Gingrich is coming from. I mean, it's a turnoff, you know. At the end of the day, you know, there was many, many cabinet positions, and he could have found room for for New Gingrich. New Gingrich would have proved to have been a loyal, trusted, very important ally for the president. And like I said, I, I do believe that Donald Trump was naive in the beginning, uh, and who he appointed to be his chief of staff and cabinet members, and I do believe he allowed Jared Kushner to be too much of an influence, and he went against his own motto, and his motto was, don't mix business with pleasure. Next Kushner's family. He, should, he doesn't have the qualifications to be an advisor to the president. He should have never had all the power and leeway he had, and that was a big calculated mistake on behalf of Trump. Just like I will always say that Trump's Achilles heels will always be that he made the mistake of listening to these Looney Tunes, Deborah Burks and Fauci, and based on what they said, he shut down the country's economy. That is always going to stand. That day will live in infamy as Donald Trump's Achilles heels, in my opinion. So just as I much equally praise him for all the great things he has done, I'm a very fair, objective person if I feel that he has flaws and errors that he made, I'm going to be the first one to call it. I am an objective person. I always have been. So there were also a lot of mistakes that Donald Trump did make. And one of them was who he chose to be in his inner circle, who he chose to go to for guidance and trust and, you know, strategies and, you know, who he chose to give him insight on which direction he should take on different issues, on foreign policy, on domestic, on energy, um, all across the board. Uh, what say you, Robert? Yeah, I, I would agree with uh, what you know what you said in the beginning. I mean, he, one one thing I want to add to that is it was I think the reason why he didn't clean the swamp, or I, I like to describe it more as a as a cesspool than a swamp. Uh, is that he um, is who he surrounded himself with. I mean, I mean, I think that definitely showed his inexperience with uh, with a lot of people, uh, both conservatives and liberals, were uh, concerned about him being president. I think he did learn some over time, and I think in his second administration, I definitely think he would have learned from uh, you know from those errors, and we'll we'll see what he would you know what he would end up doing to correct them. Uh, now, I mean, yeah, and I don't think you know, Gingrich would be interested in doing anything, you know, now. I think he's got his own thing going on. Um, so, you know, he's not going to be – he wouldn't be interested at this point. Back then, maybe. 
Um, and maybe not. I mean, I, I mean, we don't know what, what, what happened behind closed doors. Uh, but, yeah, so hopefully this next time around he'll actually be able to, uh, you know, drain the swamp, as he, as he put it. Or, again, I like to call it drain the cesspool. But I think a big part of that is going to be, one, well, I, I think t- two things. One, it's going to be, be beholden for him and us because he's going to have to make sure he doesn't surround himself with rhinos, whereas we got to make sure that, you know, we are going to be voting in the primaries, and hopefully it doesn't get stolen, you know, actual, you know, candidates that are not going to be – who are going to be of and for the people, not of and for the politicians. I couldn't agree with you more. I definitely think uh, he's a very different politician than he was in 2015. He has proven throughout his career, even in business, that he is a person who does learn from his mistakes. I do believe in his second term we will see the usher of a new era and a president who has learned from his mistakes, especially in who he trusts to be in his inner circle. And I think we're going to see a very robust, um, even to be a very surprising uh, picks of who he's going to choose to be his chief of staff and who he's going to choose to uh, you know, fill his top cabinet positions. Uh, one thing I hope he shows that he's learned from those mistakes is not having Jared Kushner in the picture. I hope he really doesn't do that because in the end, uh, Jared Kushner was an anchor that just weighed him down. And in my opinion, he has no political experience uh, whatsoever to be advising, uh, you know, back then President Trump, which is the highest office in, in the land and in the, in, in the world, arguably. And so, yeah, let, 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 let's see who he brings to the table. Newt Gingrich is, you know, not going to be in the forefront of that, but there's many other, you know, dark horses or many other current conservatives right now that, you know, may be able to be great cabinet picks. I really do hope he goes to um, – I really hope uh, uh, Governor Noam is on his top list for VP picks because I think she'll make an awesome um, VP. I'll tell you why. She was the only governor who, when President Trump opened back the country, she was the only governor to not lock it down again. Not even DeSantis can hold claim to that. And last week, she became the first governor in the nation to pass the transgender legislation in stating that if you were born as a male on your birth certificate or vice versa, you cannot say as a male, I'm a woman, and therefore, I want to compete, and I have the right to compete in women uh, sports because that is not fair to biological uh, females because that gives them uh, a biological advantage for males who, who think they're females. So kudos to Governor Nome for, again, making history and being the first governor uh, to do something really, really, really uh, important and positive for her state and her constituents. And so I really think she'd be the perfect pick uh, for his VP, not because she's a woman, not because we need her to uh, break the grass ceiling, but because of her qualifications and because she had the guts to be the only governor to not lock it down again. Every other governor, including DeSantis, locked it down uh, to a certain degree, but then they reopened it. She stood her ground. She saw something that 49 other governors didn't see. And she deserves credit for that. And on top of having the lowest unemployment rate of any other state, not the most ideal weather, but 
uh, and also <laughs> uh, for passing that transgender uh, bill that she did, because it is not fair. I'm sorry. If you have a male next to your name on your birth certificate, you can identify all you want to be a female, but it is not fair for you to then say you have the right and the liberty to, to engage in female sports because, no, now you have a biological advantage against women competing, actual biological woman, and you're not making it fair. This is not fair. And Noam hit the nail on the head. And I didn't know if you heard that she did that or not, but what are your thoughts on that? But, you know, I, I think Noam would be the perfect pick. I think, too, I mean, I certainly think she'd be a good candidate. Um, and I do see where um, she would have some advantages uh, over uh, DeSantis. Now, frankly, I think that if, you know, Trump does run again, I'm pretty confident he will. And that he, and that personally, I think he may even go unopposed um, if he were to run again. Then I, I think he, I honestly think he'd be more likely to pick DeSantis than he would Noam. Now I, I think both have their own things to bring to the table, and I didn't even think about. Frankly, I mean, I, I always thought it'd be it would be a Trump uh, DeSantis, but you did bring up some really uh, good points about why Noam may very well be a better. Uh, you know, candidate for him to pick, and I, I do. I think those are, are certainly uh, valid points that I think could very well make her <laughs> actually a better VP candidate than the, than DeSantis. Um, yeah, if they, if they want to, uh, you know, if they want to tout their, you know, credentials, so to speak, uh, especially when it comes to COVID, uh, you know, th- those points you brought up uh, certainly could be some some tough ar- arguing points. Uh, for for Trump to and it's a consideration. Absolutely, word of advice, DeSantis, if you're listening, uh, if you want to be on that top list, don't hang out with Mike Pence. It's guilt by association. That that's that's not going to yeah, work. Yeah, that, I mean, that, that, that would definitely hurt him. That would definitely hurt him. Correct, correct. And I'm and and I was shocked by that he would even make that move because I'm thinking, come on, DeSantis, you're very smart. Brilliant, articulate governor. You know, you've landed on the right side of issues. Why would you sabotage your career by, you know, it's guilt by association. I'm sorry, but the truth is anyone who wants to lump themselves next to Mike Pence, uh, you're not going to be put in the best positioning in doing that. And so if he wants to still be considered as a, a viable pick, which uh, President Trump, when he runs, uh, he, I'm sure he's going to have a couple of candidates. He's not going to put all his eggs in one basket. That's just going to push uh, Trump from saying, yeah, I like you, but, you know, if you're going to get in the bed with my enemies, then how can I trust to appoint you as uh, vice president? I already been down this road with Mike Pence. What the heck are you doing with him at a venue? So that's the only thing that worries me is that they were at a venue together, and it's like, are you kidding me? It's like, Governor DeSantis, what are you doing? Well, were they both invited together or – now, that I'm not sure. Um, I don't want to say something on this show if I'm not 100% sure. Um, I think it was – I think it was – let me see if I can pull it up. It was an article here. Um, let me see. It was from a couple of days ago. It was from Newsbreak. 
So, you know, it doesn't mean that it's uh it's a verifiable um um source because it's it's just coming from Newsbreak, but it says it right here. Hold on one second. Okay. Okay, so it says it from one day ago over here. And it says, this is coming from The Hill. DeSantis refuses to say with whom he who he sides in Trump-Pence rift. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis on Monday dodged a question on whether former Vice President Mike Pence could have moved to reverse the outcome of the 2020 presidential election during the congressional certification of the results. Former President Trump has repeatedly asserted that Pence has had the authority to toss out the election results. Pence, however, sharply rebuked that idea, saying at a Federalist Society event in Florida on Friday that it is un-American to think that one person could overturn the will of the voters. Quote, there are those in our party who believe that as the presiding officer over the joint sessions of Congress, I possess unilateral authority to reject electoral college votes. And I heard the president, and, and I heard this week that President Trump said, I have the right to overturn the election, Pence said. President Trump is wrong, he continued. I have no right to overturn the election. Asked on Monday about where he stands on the issue, DeSantis declined to weigh in. Quote, I'm not, I, DeSantis said according to NBC News. After being pressed on the question by reporters, the Florida governor abruptly changed topics, saying that he had a great working relationship with the Trump administration. The question of whether a vice president has the authority to toss out certified election results from the state has emerged as a delicate, if not outright uncomfortable, issue for many Republicans. On one hand, the U.S. Constitution and the Electoral Count Act of 1887 do not explicitly give the vice president the power to do so. Nevertheless, Trump remains the most influential Republican in the country, and breaking with him over the matter carries political risks. Trump has repeatedly vowed to campaign against GOP politicians who do not go along with his baseless claim that the 2020 election was stolen from him. DeSantis in particular is in a difficult position. He's up for re-election this year and is seen as a potential contender for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination. Last paragraph. Speculation about his future political ambitions has also irked Trump, who has teased another bid for the White House and privately complained about DeSantis' refusal to say that he won't run for president in 2024 if the former president mounts another campaign. Uh, so, and, and let me remind you, this is coming from The Hill, which is not a conservative outlet. So, of course, they're going to say no, that uh, no, you know, Trump was faithless and everything. But the point I'm trying to make is DeSantis better decide really quickly on how to answer that question only if he truly seeks to be considered as a serious contender for VP. Now, if he doesn't, then in my opinion, he has the luxury to remain neutral. But if Deep down inside, he really wants to be the, the VP. He really needs to start making up his mind because he's going to continue to be asked that question over and over and over again. And if he decides to be the VP, he's going to be asked that question more in length and more in depth. So he needs to decide now, do I want to remain the governor in 2024 and still stay neutral on this issue and still be in Trump's good graces? Or do I want to be the VP because I know I'm the best qualified candidate 
And so I better start getting used to answering this question instead of dodging it. And that's my uh, opinion based on uh, those uh, articles. Wow. Yeah, I, I have it, uh, now my brother lives in Florida, so he would, uh, you know, be more up on uh, on that than I have been. And so I definitely appreciate uh, that report that you gave us there. Uh, now he actually, now my now my brother, I mean, he actually supports DeSantis more than he supports Trump. He'd rather see DeSantis run uh, in the general election than Trump. Um, he, he's concerned that you know, there's just too many people out there that just hate Trump, um, and, and not you know much more than they would hate DeSantis. But um, I just say, I mean, personally, I think that while you know DeSantis has shown he has this, some cojones, uh, I don't know. I mean, he certainly doesn't have the cojones that Trump does. <laughs> That's for certain. I don't know if he could stand. I don't know if he could stand up. You, you know, kind of like Joe Rogan uh, to uh, to the liberals' wokeness. But in my opinion, I wouldn't want to see him go on a on a um, apology tour like like I'm hearing Joe Rogan's doing it. <laughs> correct, correct. And that's why I say, in my opinion, I think Nome is the better pick because Nome has has shown that she has the cojones, she has the tenacity, she has the spine. She's never wavered. She's never caved into the to the mob, to the media. She's never caved caved into the left. Uh, she's been very, very, very uh, blessed with a lot of fortitude and courage, and I think that that would be the better pick, in my opinion. And she answers the questions, even when they're sprung on her at the last minute. She's not the type to uh, dodge a question or remain neutral. Uh, if if you follow Chris uh, Nome's, uh you know, political career, she she's the the type of uh, woman, strong woman, to give you a yes or a no. Rarely will you ever hear, uh, well, you know, I decline to not answer at this point or, you know, I just want to stay neutral. And that's why I think for many other reasons, including that, um, I think she's the better pick um, than DeSantis because tr- Trump needs to know that whoever he picks as VP, history cannot repeat itself like it did with Pence and throwing him under the bus. And, 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 and once again, I, I, I really do seriously think that a lot of what President Trump said about Pence being able to not certify the Electoral College, a lot of it was taken out of context. Uh, I do believe what Trump was looking for was for Pence to recuse himself by standing in solidarity with the American people and standing in solidarity with the fact of, you know, siding with 81 million Americans who to this very day still maintain that their vote was stolen from them. And he didn't have the cojones to do it. And I think he's just digging his grave even bigger by, you know, continuing to even talk about the subject even further because it's a losing talking point for him. And let's say he has any ambitions whatsoever to throw his hat in the race for 2024. Well, then he would just be on the same level of IQ as Jeb Bush when he ran in 2015 and 16. So... You know, I do really believe that if Trump runs, he will run unopposed. But I wouldn't be surprised if you have one or two idiots who think they actually have a chance with the Don, but they'll learn very quickly. They'll be eviscerated really quick. So uh, once again, I think um, especially based on DeSantis being neutral on that topic, which is a very controversial polarizing topic to this day, 
Um, I I don't think DeSantis is everything that everyone is making him out to be. I kind of feel like he's getting the same hype that Rick Perry got before he entered the 2012 race. He was already the front runner before he had his first debate. And it only took him the first debate to be in last place when he couldn't even remember the three bureaus or agencies that the moderator asked him. And so I kind of feel the same thing about DeSantis. He's getting all this hype way before he even enters the arena. Why I like Noam on top of that is she's not getting the hype. And I think that's better that way because she's going to prove and continue to prove what she can do as the great governor of the state of North Dakota. I mean, South Dakota, I'm sorry. Um, and if she's chosen to be VP, you know, she's going she's gonna to prove her worth. And so in a way, I think it's better that she doesn't get all this hype. And then she doesn't, and then it turns out that on the first debate, she doesn't live up to, um, to the task or doesn't live up to the, the, the momentum like Rick Perry did. Well, I mean, and I think uh, one, one thing, I mean, I don't want to bring up uh, the 500-pound uh, elephant in the room, so to speak, is that, I mean, and I hate to say this because I, I know just by me saying it's going to sound, you know, be, it can be mis, mis, mistaken by some, is that it probably wouldn't hurt that she's a woman, too. <laughs> you know, I hate to say it that way. Just That's how a lot of people think. Um, I don't think that gender should be any type of criteria. Uh, at all. I mean, I, we should be a meritocracy, frankly. Uh, but it probably wouldn't hurt for, because, I mean, for some people, that is important. Um, now, what the difference between her and, let's say, you know, uh, a Supreme Court nominee uh, is that uh, that's not the main reason why she would be picked. <laughs> uh, so if Trump were to pick her, it, it wouldn't be for her gender as much as her qualifications, unlike what Biden is uh you know, probably going to be doing pick for the the next Supreme Court justice. That is correct, and that's why I said from the beginning uh, she wouldn't be chosen as the VP to break the glass ceiling or to be the first woman in history to make uh, a, you know to be VP. Um, you know, that's 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 a page out of the Dems playbook. So she wouldn't be chosen for those reasons, but. Still, you know, um, there are a lot of other dark horses that are on that list that you and I probably are not even fathoming uh, at this point. So it'll be interesting to see when the time does come uh, who he has on his short list. And, you know, um, I'm pretty sure he, he'll, he'll, he's learned a lot and uh, he'll, he'll make a much wiser pick this time around, especially for VP. He's going to be looking for someone who's going to be loyal, well, loyal to the country. Well, I, I mean, and frankly, again, I don't, I don't think he, I don't think he picked Pence. I think he was kind of forced into it. I think he was, you know, I think his back was put up against the wall because I do. I really think that Paul Ryan said, "Look, this is my guy. You either make him your VP pick, or we're going to continue with the uh, our plans to try to do a contested or brokered convention." I mean, I'll, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. That's what I really think uh, actually uh, transpired. Correct, and and you got to remember the Donald Trump of 2016 is not the Donald Trump of 2021. In 2016, he was not the most popular conservative planet. He wasn't polarized right. in the way that he he wasn't the de facto leader. So this time around, he's not going to be beholden to, um, you know, a blackmail. He's not going to be beholden to 
what is the word, um, emotional blackmail. He's not going to be in that position where Paul Ryan can put him in a box and say, you either go with my guy or it's going to be a broker convention. This time he's calling the shots on his terms, and he has the full support of 81 million Americans. And at the end of the day, it's going to be a very different story where this time he's going to be able to pick the VP, not because he was forced into a box, but because he chose, he has chosen very carefully this VP uh, for all the right reasons. I do believe that is going to be the difference between his first term and his second term pick as VP. He's in a very, very different position than he was in 2016. Well, that's true. Yeah, because now he may have been looking for them, you know, looking for them for uh, – I don't want to go as far as to say approval, but, I mean, because there were a lot, of, a lot of people who were concerned about his, you know, basically conservative credentials. But now I think the tables have turned where now people are actually looking – uh, to Trump and like, yeah, Trump, I think maybe thought he needed them to be able to do what he, you know, needed, wanted, you know, wanted to do, needed to get done. But now I think the tables are turned, whereas now he doesn't need them, you know, let's say the other politicians uh, as much as these other politicians need him. Um, exactly. You couldn't have said it any better. If, if, if anything, it's the opposite. The Candidates are basically groveling for his endorsement. They're groveling for his approval. It's it's quite a 360 turn from President Trump uh, as candidate in 2015 and candidate and nominee in 2016. I mean, you got people who are fighting over each other uh, based on their credentials as to why you should vote for me. And the main argument is, well, I knew Trump before you did, or – you yeah, know, I'm bigger, I knew I'm the bigger Trump, Trump supporter. <laughs> exactly, and uh, uh, yeah, Trump is going to endorse me. No, no, Trump's going to endorse me, and they're basically just fighting for that. Well, and um, yeah, well, yeah. And, the, and the race from Jim uh, and, and the Ohio governor race, I think, is uh, is an indication of it. Because I mean, I, I I've heard uh, Weinstone talk. I, I haven't heard anything with um, the other guys, uh, but. I mean, I mean, he says always, you know, talks about being, you know, America first and, you know, supporting, you know, you know, Trump and things of that nature. Um, so, I mean, one of the questions I thought about asking was, well, you know, who, uh, who was actually the closest to, uh, of actually being, you know, a, you know, a Trump supporter, you know, but we never, we never got that. And that, that wasn't one of the best questions to ask. So that's why I just didn't really ask it. Um, um, because it was more speculative than anything else. Uh, correct. Um, probably the only flaw that the candidate that we had today running for governor on the air had, in my opinion, and I don't know what you think, uh, I'll ask you when I state it, is, okay, I get it. You're friends with Trump. You have an open letter to Trump. There's no need to reiterate that on the trail. You need to stand on your own two feet without trying to also make the argument that because Trump is my friend and my golfing buddy, that gives me the skills and the qualifications. You've got to be able to stand on your own feet without having to mention, look, Trump is a very popular guy. He makes a lot of friends. If you cannot stand on your own two feet as your own man without having or feeling the need of saying, well, you know, I'm also friends with Trump and, you know, 
so-and-so on his staff is not working. There's no need to reiterate that. If your message is truly going to resonate with the people and, you're, and you have the better platform and you have the better selling point, then you should be able to sell it on your own without having to try to invoke Trump as your best friend or your golfing buddy. You know, the only time you should interject or, you know, espouse Trump is if he actually gives you his endorsement because that's how it works. When the person or the surrogate endorses you, then you do spend time campaigning together. But until that has not happened, which has not happened in the case of the guest we had on tonight, I feel like these candidates are all groveling for his endorsement. And at the end, you don't mix business with pleasure. You can't, in my opinion, you can't say I'm friends with Trump if you're running for office. I don't think you should be saying it because then what are you implying? Are you implying that because you're just his friend, he's going to give you an endorsement? He doesn't act that way. And that's the one thing I respect about Trump. In that regard, he doesn't mix business with pleasure. He's not going to give you his endorsement because he's known you for 20 years, because you've been golf buddies for 20 years. You know, He's going to give it to you if he thinks you earned it, and he feels that he can back you and he can get you across the line. Look at Larry Elder when he ran against Newsom in California against the recall. Did you notice one thing? He didn't get Donald Trump's endorsement. So Donald Trump just doesn't endorse anyone. He has his reasons, and I trust in those reasons. So once again, well, just I, my well, personally, I think the reason. Personally, I think the reason I think that Trump didn't in, uh, uh, endorse Larry Elder is nothing against Larry Elder, nothing against him at all. But I think Trump is very selective on who he um, who he's going to endorse based off of their probability of winning. Uh, if, if they don't have no chance of winning, and, and let's be honest, Elder had no chance of winning, not in California. It could have been maybe even close, but he's not going to win in California. There's no way. And so I think Trump knew that. I mean, I'm not saying I speak for the – I think, you know, nobody's thinking, but I think Trump knew that there's no way this guy's going to win. And so he don't want, you know, a mark in that lose category. He, I mean, he likes to tell, hey, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, this is my – uh, my my win loss category, you know the categories of the people I've endorsed, and, he, and you don't want to add any more losses on that list, of course. So he's not going to endorse somebody he knows is most probably going to lose. If they got a shot, even if they're an underdog, but it still have a shot, I think he would endorse them. But if they don't have a, but if they don't have a shot, I don't think he's going to like Larry Elder didn't. I don't think he's going to. I don't think he'll endorse them. And that's why I asked the candidate Jim. Has he received an endorsement yet, or does he know if he will receive an endorsement? And the one thing is when you start to say, uh, I'm not sure, but then you're saying you're buddies, you're kind of contradicting yourself, which is why, I, I, to be safe, stand on your own two feet. Be authentic. Be original. Don't feel you have the need to grovel and say, I'm an America first candidate and I want to make America great again, uh, and I'm part of the populist movement, uh, and you know, I, I, uh, Trump is a good friend of mine, be able to show the American people that without referencing Trump in any way, shape, or form, unless he endorses you, that you have a message, 
that resonates with your constituency, that resonates with the American people, and be able to stand on your own two feet as Donald J. Trump did in 2015 and in 16, and, and as he continues to do so. Because once again, people are not looking for the next Donald J. Trump, and neither is Trump looking for the next mini-me, if anyone ever watched <laughs> Austin Powell. We're not looking for that. And you would think by now oh, these candidates that. <laughs> exactly right. You would think by now these candidates, just on a common sense perspective and basis, and just knowing Trump, just you know, you don't have to know him in depth. That groveling and and being a, a what do you call it, a, a brown noser, right? Is that what you call it? Yeah, that's a phrase. That's a term. Right. That which. With Trump, that's not going to get you the endorsement. Well, if you think and, it and is, I think, well, and I, but I think that I, I, well, I think what that does, I think that illustrates the power of Trump. Really, is because I mean, you have people who just by the very mention, uh, and not just you know our, our candidate. A lot of people do this, um, or, or not not even just mentioning that they're friends of Trump or that they support Trump or they're a, a – I mean, they call themselves, you know, I'm a Trump candidate, right? I'm an America first candidate. I'm a, I'm a Trump candidate. Um, but but just saying that, oh, you know, I'm you know, Trump's friend and, or, you know, he, you know, he, he, you know, he mentioned a couple times how, you know, Trump himself asked him to run for the Senate. Um, but, but it's just it's the power of Trump. And, you know, I've seen an article tonight from left, you know, Propaganda machine. I won't say news media outlet. Um, it's like, oh, uh, Trump's uh, influence is starting to decline with the Republicans. No, it's not. Um, I mean, you, again, you have people who just by saying, you know, we're, we're friends, or you know, he he asked me to run for the Senate. I mean, just by invoking basically, you know, Trump, that that scene that scene is a boon. And then you have other candidates who may not have ever been endorsed or talked to Trump or whatever, you know, tout themselves as, you know, a Trump-supporting, you know, or, or a mega or, you know, America first candidate. And I think the ones who are able to stand on their own two feet without referencing Trump in any way, shape, or form, or without using his cliches, America first candidate, that is going to be the ones that are going to stand out for Trump. And in the end, I do believe those are going to be the very candidates where he's going to be selective, where he's going to say, this is who I'm looking for. I'm looking for the next, um, you know, example of someone who's currently running, Ted Budd in North Carolina, who's running uh, for Senate. He's been endorsed by Donald Trump. Um, he, uh, he served in Congress for many years in, in North Carolina. And now he's running for the uh, Senate seat. Um, in uh, 2022 here in North Carolina. And at the end of the day, that's, that's who Donald Trump is going to pick selectively. He's going to pick someone who is, uh, can stand on their own two feet, has, a, uh, has a, uh, a message and a platform that resonates, and someone who he is confident that in joining forces he can get them across the line. Because the worst thing that a surrogate can do is endorse a candidate and then lose. Because then it makes them look bad. It, it diminishes their credibility as a surrogate for other candidates. And I think, as you stated, um, those were probably the, the main reasons why he didn't want to get behind Larry Elder is because he didn't have confidence he could beat Newsom. And he is endorsing so many people up and down the ballot and the ticket 
especially for the Senate and the House in 2022. And he can't afford to, you know, take any hits in endorsing someone and then turning out to be a loss in the end. So he is going to be selective, and that's why I'm also going to be paying attention to candidates on your show. I'm looking for the first candidate on your show to not reference Trump in any way, shape, and form. So far, this election cycle, I have yet to hear one that hasn't. Everyone has invoked his name as if he's the Pope in some way, shape, or form. I'm looking for the next guy that's going to just come here and say, I I am myself. I don't need to stand on the crutches of another person. And and, and promote your platform with pride. And, and, And make your message loud and clear with pride. And let that carry in the hearts of your constituents and the hearts of the American people. Win the hearts of your constituency and the hearts of the American people as Trump did in 2015 and 16, and he did it by being original. He didn't do it by trying to be someone else that he wasn't. And those are my closing comments for tonight. Always a pleasure to be on The People Show. Look forward to being back next week, and I will yield you the floor for the remaining um, 10 minutes uh, of this show. God bless uh, Robert, and it's always a pleasure to be on. Yeah, I certainly appreciate it. Uh, uh, you know, Joseph always appreciate you. You know, coming on, uh, being part of the panel. Yeah, with uh, with Kelly, he's got the new girlfriend. Uh, so, I mean, they're not new, new, but uh, I mean, I know. Uh, you know, I know. I guess with the new girlfriend, but yeah, he's he's remiss in his duties as panelist of Bard's Logic. Now, I mean, he has been a panelist. Literally, almost since the, the much like yourself, almost since the, the 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 programs began. I think he he's actually one of the I think he's one of the first panelists I've had on the show. Um, I think Kelly's pr- you know, probably one of the first panelists. So we've had many throughout the almost decade uh, that we've been on. And you know, I'm, I'm going to probably in a couple months start to reach out to people who's been panelists or been you know regular guests on the show and bring him on for that the 10-year anniversary, and let the look up what that is. And I remember our, our, our first ten our, our first uh, episode, I believe, without looking at it, and again, this is 10 years ago, so don't quote me, is I believe it was called uh, Why Not Romney? And our first episode was about, you know, why not, you know, Mitt Romney as the, the Demo- I mean, as the Republican nominee for president back in 2012. And, you know, I mean, we talked about Bain Capital. We talked about how, you know, um, you know, Romney would say that he was a progressive, uh, you know, for that. You know, like we, we'd play this. Uh, there'd be a couple clips uh, that we'd play, uh, like this one. This was always my funniest one. Uh, this, this is uh, one of the funniest clips. I, I, I laugh even after all these years when I hear this. Mr. President, just how different are you from Governor Romney? <laughs> Uh, now, let me be clear. Uh, I agreed with Governor Romney on many things. For instance, abortion. He was pro-choice most of his adult life. So was I. But he changed his position uh, when he became presidential candidate. Uh, uh, hold on. Now, let's take guns. <laughs> now, Governor Romney and I, uh, we were in complete agreement on gun control. Uh, now, that is, until he changed his mind. But, but I... And on health care, well... Uh, I was so inspired by Romneycare that I nationalized it and called it Obamacare. Whoa, whoa. But now presidential candidate Romney against the individual mandate and universal health care. 
And I agreed with Governor Romney on many things. But this presidential candidate Romney, I don't even know the guy. Then again, uh, he doesn't seem to know himself. Oh, come on. Governor Romney? <laughs> Getting our future is responsible for the content of this message. So that was one of the, I mean, I always laugh, always chuckle at least, you know, when I hear that. Um, it's, just, it's just so funny uh, because it's true. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, we also had uh, clips where, you know, Romney would, uh, you know, say that, you know, talk about it, him being a progressive. Romney's all-day bus tour made a stop in Worcester this afternoon where supporters gathered to cheer him on and rally the troops to get out the vote. Voter turnout is expected to decide this race with a large turnout expected to help Romney. With that in mind, the campaign has set up 38 phone banks and targeted 150,000 undecided and unenrolled voters to receive phone calls. Many Democrats say a tie in the polls gives the edge to Shannon O'Brien because she has that statewide organization, including union and minority support. But the Romney campaign says that support is overrated and is eroding. They point to the recent endorsement from El Mundo, the largest Spanish-speaking newspaper in the state. I think the old, uh, uh, you know, standby uh, definitions of who votes for which party have uh, been blown away in this campaign. I think people recognize that I'm not a partisan Republican, that I'm someone who is moderate and that my, my views are progressive, and that I'm going to go to work for our senior citizens, for people who've been left behind by urban schools that are not doing the right job, uh, and so they're going to vote for me regardless of the party label. And again, I mean, that's right out of Romney's mouth is, I'm, you know, my views are progressive. And so when we started the show back in 2012, uh, I was rail, you know, just railing on Romney. Personally, I think that the Republican Party uh, pretty much coordinated him uh, was because they wanted Obama, you know, to win. Frankly, I think they wanted Obama to win because they wanted to take the House back, which they did. <laughs> so... I mean, I really do think that's why the Republican Party and even, you know, our beloved uh, Rush Limbaugh, which I was at odds with for some years after that, um, because even actually, you know, and, and, and we love Rush and we miss Rush, but he actually, you know, lied during the campaign, um, you know, because you know, at this point it was between, you know, um, you know, at, you know, there was a, a I'm sorry, Romney and, and Gingrich was still in there, and 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 Rick, you know, and I think Rick Santorum was in there as well, and well, here's the audio. By the way, folks, just I have I have to remind you again again that Gingrich debated John Kerry on global warming one point, and they agreed on practically every point. Nobody is innocent. Everybody is guilty of some transgression at somewhere against conservatism except Santorum. See you tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, so I was at odds with Rush for a while for that, and I was just, I was, I was just so upset, you know, because th that's not true. Um, and then you know, I even played some audio, which I don't have time for tonight, you know, showing how you know, even Santorum has had some transgression against conservatism but you know, you know we love russ we certainly miss him but that you know i just uh that just really upset me um you know when, when he said that and he was basically saying that santorum was you know the last uh conservative in the race 
which really, you know, that wasn't true because Gingrich is a conservative. Uh, now, if you read uh, Gingrich's, um, he's got a book, Contract with the Earth. Um, he's saying that he has a conservative perspective on environmentalism. Uh, and so, anyway, but it is time for me to close out. So I want to thank everyone for coming to the show. Definitely want to thank our guest, Super AC, trying to get Congressman Steve Shabbat on the show. Probably won't be next week, so we'll see what we uh, talk about then. But we will see you next time, and take care, and good night. Good night. <laughs>